passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Post Wrestling's uh, review of New Japan Showdown emanating from uh, San Jose, California on, uh, what is it, November 9th? 2019. Uh, yeah. So I, I'm in Japan. I'm WH Park, of course. And so this is November 10th as I record this. And I watched this on November 10th, but it's still Saturday night in San Jose. So that's why there's this time differentiation. And, uh, joining me today, and I'm going to be reviewing this show with someone who's in the t- same time zone as me and who's, uh, someone I've talked to before on, uh, the uh, Cruel Summer G1 Climax series. Uh, he is from Australia, uh, Davis Storm. Davis, how are you today? I'm very good. Thank you, WH. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. It's a, it's a lovely, uh, Sunday afternoon here in Japan. Uh, weather is nice. It's not too cold. It's not too warm. It's beautiful autumn weather. How, how's Australia? Uh, very much the same. We we had a 37 degrees Celsius day here yesterday, and I think we're probably sitting in the in the low 30s today. A little bit overcast, uh, but beautiful Perth day. The weather's always pretty good here in Perth. I can't complain. 37 degrees. I just uh, endured like a you know 37 <laughs> degree weather a couple of months ago. It was a long summer in japan like a very hot and humid summer i'm always happy when the fall season rolls around and i i don't feel like i need to take four showers in one day so uh <laughs> is, it, is it humid in in perth generally it's not we we do get some humid days from time to time but generally it's more of a dry heat here in western australia in particular we've got a lot of desert out here obviously the city's the city's nothing like that but it's mostly dry heat with with a few humid days sort of scattered here and there all right. Well, like uh, like I said, you you are a guest on uh, Cruel Summer, and you're going to be an upcoming guest on Thunderstruck, the uh, Jushin Thunder Liger uh, review series. But uh, for those of you who might not be familiar with you, Davis, uh, give us a little bit of background on who you are. You are a professional wrestler in Australia. I am indeed. I have wrestled here in Perth, Western Australia, for the past 18 years, and a little bit of travel, uh, trained with some people over there at the LA Dojo. This is the original LA Dojo, not the uh, the one that's in existence now, the old Anoki Dojo. I uh, spent a little bit of time over there with my compatriots, Hartley Jackson, uh, who was a NXT coach not that long ago, and my good friend, Mikey Nichols. And uh, also the, the class that we were training with there featured guys like TJ Perkins, uh, Fergal Devitt, Carl Anderson, and our our coach at that time was uh, none other than Kendo Kashin. So and and uh, sorry, Rocky Rocky Romero was both coaching and training with us at the same time. So uh, you know, a pretty cool class to be a, a part of, and been able to maintain relationships with those guys over the years. So uh, you know, getting to review this show in particular and seeing Rocky and TJ get to perform 
at home in California was pretty cool. Yeah, that sounds. Uh, I was watching the show and I think, oh, there's T.J. Perkins, there's Rocky. Oh, Davis like trained with them when he was in the L.A. Dojo, the original L.A. Dojo that, that was run by the Inoki Office back in the early 2000s. So maybe we'll get some uh, deep insight about these gentlemen from you during the course of our review. And uh, we're going to talk a bit about Australian wrestling after this review. And uh, you had a big show. Uh, EPW had a, their 18th anniversary show uh, yesterday, was it not? Yeah, yeah, that's right. 18 years. Uh, it's, it, it doesn't seem like it's been that long, but yeah, the, the years have just disappeared quickly. Yeah, well, we'll talk more about uh, the, the happenings of that show, including your own uh, tag match that you had with uh, your partner, Black Richter, against the uh, the amazing team. I'm a big fan of these guys, uh, Damian Slater and Marcus Pitt, the Untouchables. We'll talk more about that and maybe about the general Australian wrestling scene uh, after the review of this show. And so, yeah, we are talking about uh, Showdown, uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling's uh, San Jose show, part of their American expansion. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it's headlined by an amazing tag match that, that uh, featured uh, the IWGP heavyweight champion and the IWGP junior heavyweight champion, Kazuchika Okada and Will Ospreay, respectively, taking on uh, the challengers for the uh, heavyweight title, Kota Ibushi, and his partner, uh, American independent wrestling sensation and legend, Amazing Red. And before we get to the review itself, are, were you ever familiar with Amazing Red? Had you ever crossed paths with this man? No. So I've never actually met him. I know he's good friends with uh, Robbie Eagles. Robbie spent some time at House of Glory. So uh, he's very familiar with Red. And obviously, I'm quite familiar with Robbie. So uh, no, I haven't had the chance to meet him. Although, you know, he was he was starting to break out at a time when I was trying to break into wrestling. So there was a lot of amazing red matches, both watched and ripped off uh, on this side of the globe uh, in the early 2000s. So he's been a huge influence on people over here. And I think that that speaks to the wider wrestling community as well, that he's had a really big influence on the independent wrestling scene. Yeah, it's kind of nice to see this kind of renaissance that he's been having. Uh, I think a lot of it has to do with the influence of like Will Ospreay, who, you know, when like Red kind of announced his retirement, he said, you know, like you know, Osprey said, "Hey, I I want to wrestle you. I I let's try to make something happen." And we'll talk more about that as we get to the main event. But uh, this show emanates from the, I believe, the San Jose Civic Center. And one note I want to make about this this venue, Davis. I, I don't know if you will get this reference, but I tweeted out that this show, the way it's the way it was lit, the way it was shot, it really reminded me of watching like old Maple Leaf Gardens WWF house shows on, uh, you know. Canadian broadcast of WF wrestling. And it's just like, wow, it, it just, it just had this really old school feel to it, the whole building and, and the way the crowd was lit and everything. Sure. Uh, I, I don't get the reference specifically, but I actually thought that the show looked very professional. You know, the, the stage in the entranceway was, was probably a more simple one, but I thought the venue was really well lit. Uh, it looked grander than your average house show, but uh, obviously wasn't a full-scale production. I, I thought it looked fantastic. I always think having a balcony really adds to the look of a venue on TV. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It, it does make it feel grander. It didn't look like that floor section was enormous, but um, still a, it, it looked like a great crowd in there. And yeah, the the balcony, so long as there's no wrestlers diving off that thing, then I'm, I'm all for balconies in professional wrestling. Maybe uh, Kota Bushi uh, didn't think he'd get to the uh, stairs 
quick enough to uh, walk the dive there. But, let, but we're getting ahead of ourselves. Let's let's talk about this show from the beginning. Uh, our first match is Renderita, uh, recently moved over to the LA Dojo, transferring from the New Japan Dojo, and he took on his fellow dojo mate, Alex Coughlin. And our, our commentators are Kevin Kelly and Tiger Tori. And yes, I listened to the English commentary for this review because I thought, well, Davis is probably going to listen to the English commentary. We, we should be on the same page for, for the, the pearls of wisdom that come out of not only like Kevin Kelly and Tiger Tori, but later on, Rocky Romero. Uh, yeah. And I think, like I said, the, the arena, it kind of reminds me of old, like Maple Leaf wrestling on, on CHCH. All the old school Toronto fans will know what I'm talking about when I make that reference, but it also kind of reminds me a bit of a, like a, like a Japanese venue as well. I, like I said, the balcony adds to it. Like I'm, I much prefer a venue with a balcony like on TV as opposed to just a flat floor. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Narita comes out. Uh, I call him uh ring Kampf, Ren Narita because he has those striped socks that you will see like Walter wear and other members of ring Kampf. Uh He looks like uh, the ref. They have this new ref. I think he's training in their dojo maybe, or he's a local SoCal ref, uh, Alex Chang. He, he kind of looks like he's in high school. He, he looked very, very young, Davis. There seem to be a couple of new refs or, or refs that I had not seen before. And I, I wonder if this is part of the American expansion plans that they're just starting to get a few refs over there that they're familiar with. I think it's a good idea, like trying to bring the support staff over for these kind of rather ambitious sounding tours. Uh, sounds like a, I don't know, kind of a headache for the refs and also like an expense you don't need if you're going to have you know, refs on, on regular shows, just hire some local guys and then they can just you know be be guides as well for the for the visiting wrestlers um where am i here yeah so his name's alex chang uh let me ask you a question though before we get to the match about refs when you meet a a, a guy fresh out of like wrestling school who's trained as a referee do you feel like you have to have a conversation with that ref before your match like to be make sure they know what to look for in your matches and stuff yeah even even with experienced refs i I still do the same and I think as refs gain more experience, they probably come to you rather than waiting for you to go to them. But it, it's definitely something that you want to be clear with, particularly if there's specific things that they, they need to look out for. But if, you, if you're just talking about the basics, then uh, there probably doesn't need to be a conversation. It's really only if you're going to, and this is something I'm sure we'll talk about during this show, if you're going to put the referee in compromising positions, you probably need to, uh, you need to discuss that with them. Well, that's something, uh, you know, Shaw Samuels and, uh, Josh Bodum, uh, should, uh, be listening to and, uh, taking into account. Maybe Shaw Samuels definitely in the future. Uh, let's see. So it's, it's basically this match starts out as a, your typical young alliance match. These, each guy is jockeying for position. Uh, Coughlin really escalates things. He, he slaps Red Narita right in the mouth, a really hard slap. Uh, Red Narita's not taking any of that shit from him and he fires back with his own series of, uh, strikes and chops. Uh, Narita hits this beautiful release belly to belly in the middle match, but not his uh his bridging one which is his current finisher uh uh Coughlin comes back with uh, a double arm suplex and then he hits this beautiful Karelin left and everyone calls it like the like I don't know like a gut wrench I I like using the the proper term the Karelin left Davis yep uh yeah that was that was huge he tossed him half the way across the ring and uh, as you know the new japan ring is not the small independent style 18 foot ring this is a full 20 foot ring by the looks of it and uh he just launched him across the ring 
Other highlights include this beautiful dropkick from Ren Narita. And I, I just think he has such a graceful looking dropkick. He, he really reminds me about, uh, of a young Shinjiro Otani. I don't know if you feel that way about Narita. Uh, to be honest, I've not seen a huge amount of his work. This is probably only the second or third time that I've, I've seen him. But yeah, I, I, I can definitely see what you're getting at. Uh, the finish comes uh, with a belly-to-belly uh, suplex with his bridge for the 1-2-3, and Renderita takes this match. Let me see what the, the, the time on this was. Uh, let me go to the New Japan site. Hold on, results. I, I think I lost this page, and I have to get it back. Hold on a sec. Uh, da, 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 da. They, they went 7 minutes and 43 seconds, and this is going to be a kind of a, a theme throughout the show, and like we don't really have very long matches on this show. No, no, it just seemed like a bit of a showcase for everyone on the show. And I thought these guys both showed really excellent fundamentals. I, re- I really enjoyed the grappling exchanges at the beginning. And one of the things that Kevin Kelly was putting over on the commentary was uh, that the guys trained in the LA Dojo, that Shibata expects them to show a certain amount of intensity and fire. Um and I, I thought that was something that played into the match. Coglin had uh, a lot of intensity. That slap was something that really stood out to me. That uh, he was he was really trying to to show some fire and show some intensity. And I thought both guys came off looking fantastic. And that that holding belly to belly is just a beautiful thing. Yeah. What do you think for Narita? I mean, you say you haven't seen that much of him, but I'm figuring they're gonna like start him off after his excursion, probably in the junior heavyweights, but eventually like have him bulk up and, and move towards a heavyweight, uh, into the heavyweight division, kind of similar to like maybe what like Otani did himself or, uh, with Hiroki Goto. Cause Hiroki Goto surprise, believe it or not, he, he was a junior heavyweight at one point before he moved into the heavyweight division. What do you think Davis? It was hard for me to get a sense of how big Narita actually was because the, the LA Dojo guys are jacked. Uh, <laughs> so it was, it was hard to really get an appreciation for, for how big he actually is. So, uh, I mean, from, from his actual wrestling perspective, I think he's got all the potential in the world from a size perspective, whether he fills out to, to be a heavyweight or not, uh, is still to be seen, I guess. Yeah. We'll see. I, I'm thinking, yeah, first junior heavyweight division couple of years there and then move into the heavyweight division proper i think he can become a uh, you know big star in both so we'll see what happens with him our second match uh is is a very uh, special match it's jushin thunder liger's last united states match ever and i felt this was a really strange match to put so he's teaming with aaron solo uh, independent American wrestler yep. who's also doing done some training in New Zealand with the uh, in the Fale Dojo with uh, Tony Kazina, I assume, and and Balak Fale. Uh, that's his kind of pipeline into New Japan, and they're taking on the the comedy tag team of Toriano and Cole Cabana, which I just thought, why is this Liger's last match? Why isn't it a singles match? It was a really odd. I, I find Yano and Cabana already to be quite the odd pairing, and then to to have them wrestle in Liger's last match was, yeah, an, a very interesting choice. Um, in in execution, I, I thought the match was actually quite entertaining. Uh, but, yeah, just looking at the match on paper, it did seem like a, an odd pairing. I think there's a number of people you get to just, you know, slot it in there with Liger as his last United States match. And I, I just thought, well, he's facing two heavyweights with a heavyweight as his partner. 
in a kind of I'm sorry, like it was entertaining. I will grant you that, but it just felt like like from a significance point of view, like what was the point of this? Like it just seems like a waste of his his retirement. I just feel like recently the way he's been booked outside of the the the, the the Suzuki match, the build-up for the Suzuki match was great, and I'm not. Yeah. I'm kind of of mixed feelings about the actual match because, like, you know, he he brought he busted out Battle Liger and kind of like his shoot fighter gimmick against Suzuki, but it wasn't really a feud that was built towards a shoot fight, more like kind of like a blood match that should have ended the the feud between those two. But outside of that, I really feel it's a lackluster retirement tour for him. And I kind of made the comment that you know if I had EWR, which is like the uh, the the wrestling promotion simulation game. If I had that, I could probably book, you know, a better retirement tour for Liger than, than what New Japan has been doing so far. I mean, the, the one thing we don't have any insight to is what exactly Liger himself wants to do. And, uh, I think all of us have our dream scenario as, as big fans of Liger. We all have our own dream scenario of how the end of his career would play out. But, I mean, the the one thing we we have no idea about is what the man himself actually thinks, and maybe just fun tag matches is is where he wants to place himself at this point. He's been at it for a long, a long period of time, and despite the fact that he doesn't look like he's slowing down all that much in the ring, uh, maybe maybe he's he is starting to, and the, and the body is starting to pay a little more for the choices that he makes. So. Maybe. Maybe we'll uh, we'll see the last hurrah at, on January fifth. His last uh, you know scheduled match of anything. It's going to be a singles match. It's going to be against a big opponent. I feel so. Maybe he's just saving his body up for that. So maybe it's understandable the way he's been booked so far. Uh, so we get uh, you know like Liger comes out last. He gets this big response from the crowd. They they know the significance of his appearance on this card. They 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 start a big Liger call. They're showing a lot of love for the man. Uh, the match starts with Liger and Yano, and <laughs> Yano just walks up to him. He wants a handshake from. Liger and he starts yelling <laughs> Liger's very apprehensive of course because it's the dastardly Toriano but he starts yelling Yano that is starts yelling at him I respect I respect I respect <laughs> so and then the crowd starts chanting respect respect they want they want Liger to shake Yano's earnest attempts at a handshake and uh, of course you know like he shakes his hand and of course Yano immediately like double crosses him and, and tries to roll up for, uh, for, for three count but thankfully thank god he only gets a two count on 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 uh, Liger here, Davis. I I thought this was fantastic and and a great way to to start the match. I, I thought it set a, a really fun tone for the match, and and I thought that lasted for the majority of the match too. Oh, definitely. So from here, Yano immediately goes for the the turnbuckle pad. He unties it. He tries to hit Liger with it, but you know Liger is able to uh, avoid all that stuff, and uh, he gets a hold of the pad, and then he, he hits Yano with it to a massive pop. From the crowd, uh, and, and other highlights from this match, we see uh, a, a kind of an apron rolling plancha. So basically, Liger does this uh, somersault plancha off of the apron onto Yano, who's on the floor. Uh, we see Solo and Cabana start uh, interacting in the ring. Cabana's doing his, uh, you know, his his Cabana stuff. Like he does all the chain wrestling. He does like the uh, the dusty punches. He goes for the uh, bionic elbow, but uh, that's avoided. Uh, the crowd. Definitely familiar with Colt Cabana. They start chanting for his name. But Aaron Solo, funnily enough, he's from the Bay Area. And he says, hey, I'm from here. What about me? <laughs> I, felt I, little- I thought Cabana looked really sharp here. And 
I think he's a guy who, you know, in in those early when the when the independent scene was really having its its first uh, first real breakout, that he was one of the guys who would regularly get mentioned alongside the the punks and the Reds and the Samoa Joes, and that uh, over time his his name has sort of taken a, a little bit of a backward step, I suppose, as uh, the new generation of, of guys like the Bucks have, have come through and stolen the attention away. Um, but, you know, he's been at it for a very long time and he's an incredibly polished act. He he really does what he does incredibly well. Yeah, I mean, there is a place for, you know, your Cole Cabanas in, in wrestling. I, I feel like, you know, outside of the, the comedy stuff, which he's very good at, like when he wants to be a serious wrestler, he's, he's actually a very good serious wrestler because these technical skills are so like uh, on a, such a high level because of all the training he's done all over the world. So yeah, I, I mean, if you put him in New Japan proper, I, I think he's definitely going to be a big part of the American expansion. Uh, I don't think like his relationship with Ring of Honor or the NWA is going to get in the way of that. I think it's 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 a good thing because he is such a beloved figure on the American independent uh, wrestling scene. Um, from here, we see uh, you know Yano interacting with Solo, and he sends Solo into the exposed turnbuckle. Uh, you know, staple of a lot of Yano's matches. Uh, Liger hits a show taste to both uh, Yano and Cabana uh, throughout the match. Uh, he sends Yano to the exposed turnbuckle himself. Yano sells it very well. Uh, what's good for the goose is good for the gander, as they say. <laughs> uh, there's a spinning head scissors from Solo. Uh, Cabana does his, uh, like I said, he does his dusty punches, but uh, uh, Solo hits an enziguri to block the uh, the dusty bionic elbow. And then we just move into the finish, which I thought was, you know, to be fair, it, to be honest with you, it's really stupid finish. So Cabana pins Solo. I, I, I don't understand because yep. shouldn't Liger pin either Cabana or, you know, Yano in this match? I would have him pin Yano. Like, what is it yeah. about either Cavana or or Yano right now at this given time that pre- precludes Jushin Thunder Liger in his last United States match to not pin either of these guys? I mean, my notes say, I guess Cabana and Yano go over because they're teaming in the World Tag League, but come on. I, I thought the finish for this was so obvious. Liger just goes over on whoever and everybody goes home happy. Uh uh, yeah, I, I I couldn't understand the finish, but at least they they let him hang around after the match and and uh, let the crowd show him some appreciation just one more time. I was I was really impressed by uh, Solo here too. Uh, I'm pretty sure that he wrestled on one of the Australian uh, tour shows, the the second tour here. I think he wrestled uh, Slex when he was here. Uh, to the to the listeners who aren't familiar with Slex, he's a fantastic Australian professional wrestler. Please try and hunt down his stuff. Absolutely incredible. Um, but yeah, I, I thought he looked really sharp in the match. Cabana and Yano, uh, they did what they do really well. And Liger just, he, how old is he now? Is he 55 now? He's 55, yes. That is just amazing. I, you know, And please don't think for a second that I'm putting myself in the class of Jushin Liger, but I've been wrestling for half the time he has, and I've got 15 years on him, and... He moves better than I do. He's He still moves incredibly well. It's just outstanding that he's been able to go this long at this level. Uh, and despite the brain surgery and all the things he's gone through, he's he's been able to adapt and thrive in every situation, which I think just speaks to how incredible he is. 
Oh yeah, and he's still for a fifty-five year old man. He's still in cr- incredible shape. Like when he's when he's got that he shirt is. off, it's like he's fifty-five. Wow, that guy yep. like, must live <laughs> at the gym. He must just live at the gym and eat nothing but protein. That's what I'm thinking is is the secret behind thing. Like, and here's the thing, Davis. Like, he doesn't need to look like that because he wears a full body suit. Yeah, that's the thing about yeah. his physique. I think we all just assumed that as time went on that. You know, he he wore the suit all the time, but you just imagined in your mind that he he would probably let himself go a little bit. And when he when he had the shirt off during that feud with uh, Suzuki, I was just stunned at the shape that he's still in. He's he's <laughs> he's he's remarkable. Yeah. So, anyways, Cabana did get the pin on Aaron Solo with the uh, Superman pin at eight minutes and one seconds. Let's move on to the third match. Uh, I really like this. The third match is a tag match. It's the LA Dojo of Clark Connors and Carl Fredericks and taking on Suzuki Gun, the duo of Minoru Suzuki and El Desperado. Minoru Suzuki being the, uh, the bane to every young lion's existence. Maybe, maybe <laughs> after Lance Archer, because we'll, we'll talk about Lance Archer later on in this show. But, uh, yeah. What do you think about the LA Dojo guys? In particular, like, kind of like the guy slated for stardom, Carl Fredericks. Uh, I, I was, I was very impressed by the way they carried themselves here. The the guys don't seem to lack in confidence at all. And it's, it's a, it's a pretty, I can speak from personal experience. It's a pretty daunting thing to go in there and see Minoru Suzuki across the other side of the ring. And neither of the guys seem to take a backward step, which is, it seems to me like the, the LA dojo has really focused on getting really sharp athletes. And I think they, they believe in their training system that they they don't necessarily want to get someone who's already a finished polished act and then try to rework them into what they want. Instead, they're getting these guys who are in amazing shape, who are incredible athletes, and then trying to bring them to their system, which uh, as, a, as someone who's a, a somewhat product of that system myself, that their, their training is exceptional. They, they really do just drill fundamentals. You're, you're not there learning uh, – you're not there learning Canadian destroyers and, and things of that nature, but they, they teach you the intensity and rigor with which you attack the basics. And that bleeds over into everything else that you do. So I, some of, some of the guys who were my students went there and trained with, uh, Shinsuke back in the day. I think this was maybe in 2006, 2007. And all they really did for three months was conditioning and run the universal spot. And they came back. Uh, twice as good a wrestler as when they left. And also the impression that that place leaves on you sets a minimum standard for the sort of professionalism and intensity that you need to attack your professional wrestling career with. And I think, you know, you know, we say that, you know, Katsuyori Shibata is the head trainer at the LA Dojo. And like, he is a kind of guy that does not back down. And he never has, even when he was a young lion, he he was the kind of guy that just got in the face of his opponents. I think that's something he tries to instill in all his students. And I think, you know, especially like, like Connors, I really like Connors. He's slated more as a junior heavyweight, but I, I think this guy can be kind of a, like anything. He can be a heavyweight if he wants to. He can be like a junior heavyweight, but I really think like the way he wrestles, he should be a heavyweight guy. Like kind of like what, like, you know, like Roderick Strong's kind of like on the smaller side. 
but you don't believe he's a junior heavyweight because of the way he wrestles. I think you can kind of apply that kind of idea to Clark Connors, and he he doesn't take any shit from anyone in this match, including Minoru Suzuki. Uh, we start off with the match. Fredericks versus Min- Minoru Suzuki starts the match off. Uh, they do a lot of interaction with each other. Uh, at some point, Desperado tags in, and you know he does uh, like. He whips uh, Fredericks into the into the ropes, but Frederick, uh, you know, instead of engaging with Desperado, he goes over and knocks Suzuki off the apron. And at that point, Kevin Kelly and and you know Tiger and Tori are saying, "Well, he signed his death warrant. That's that's not a good idea to to do that to him or Suzuki." <laughs> uh, Fredericks and Connors hit a nice set of uh, double shoulder tackles on Desperado. Uh, Suzuki catches Fredericks uh, on the outside with the uh, his armbar, where he kind of wraps. His legs around the uh, like what, what would you call that in MMA? I guess the uh, the triangle. He kind of gets the triangle on him while he's on the apron, and Fredericks is still in the ring, and like he's doing it over the top rope. So he's 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 giving him a receipt for the uh, the strike off the apron earlier in the match. Uh, and Suzuki just assaults Fredericks on the outside, so he pulls him out and just beats the living shit out of him. Like and I said, it's a receipt for earlier. Now, when you had your match with Minoru Suzuki, did you have an a, a sequence like that in your match with him? Uh, he chopped me until my chest was red raw, and then I chopped him back as hard as I could, and he laughed in my face and called me a baby. So uh, probably the most the most horrifying part of our match, though, had nothing to do with striking. Um, he wrapped me up in a knee bar, and uh, that's, you know, we all know how legit Minoru Suzuki is, and, and my knee was paying for months after that. It, it, it wasn't... Uh, it wasn't completely torn apart. I was still able to get around on it, but I, I had a pain in my knee that lasted for months. He is, he is absolutely legit. Everybody knows that. I don't need to explain that. But uh, unlike Fredericks and Connors, I did absolutely nothing to poke the bear during our match. There was, I, I was very respectful. I, I fought him as hard as I possibly could, but I certainly didn't go out of my way to poke the bear. Uh, at this point, uh, Fredericks gets back in the ring and then Desperado tags Suzuki in. And then, and then it's on for Suzuki because he's not going to punish Fredericks. He starts kicking away at the young man. Yeah. Fredericks fires back with these beautiful looking uppercuts. But like you said, like you're referencing, Suzuki no sells them and then fires back with these two stiff forearms to his face. And did you, were you on the rece- receiving end of these forearms? I wasn't, thank goodness, because it, it looked like the second shot should have just about knocked him out. Because everyone knows what's coming, so the, the entire crowd just goes silent because they want to hear the contact of his forearm and his elbow to his opponent's face. I got to say, they weren't as loud as I'm normally used to hearing them, but still, I would not want to be on the receiving end of, of any of one, let alone two of these. So uh, from here, uh, oh yeah, he just does this beautiful spot where he just rubs his wrist into Frederick's face and I'm just like oh, I I feel sorry for Frederick's but I'm I'm loving this at the same time cuz that's Mike's style of wrestling. If if like the fates were kinder and and genetics were kinder and if I ever got into wrestling, that's the kind of wrestler I would be. I would just be like grinding people's like joints and limbs, doing like terrible things to their faces with my with my knee or my my elbow or my wrist. That that's just my kind of style of wrestling, Davis. It really appealed to this crowd too and it seemed like we were getting Minoru Suzuki's greatest hits in this match, and this crowd were just eating it up. He was an absolute superstar in this match. And, you know, the, the, the young Lions, I think, impressed. They fought hard, but this really was the Minoru Suzuki show. 
definitely. Uh, that being said, uh, at some point, Desperado does tag in, uh, uh, and uh, Fredericks is able to hit a spinebuster in Desperado and then make the hot tag to uh, Clark Connors. Uh, Clark Connors starts running roughshod on everyone. He hits this beautiful power slam onto Desperado. Uh, Desperado is able to counter with by counter that by hitting a spear on Connors. Uh, Suzuki tags in. Uh, uh, Fredericks hits a nice drop kick on Suzuki. Uh, the LA Dojo uh, does some really cool double teams on Suzuki, who's like more than game. I think we say this like he's a legit guy. He likes to go and punish his opponents, but he's more than willing to put people over in the match, like sell for them. And if they're doing really good stuff, He's more than willing to say, like, okay, that's good. I'm going to sell for these guys. I'm going to make them look impressive. Definitely. I thought he gave a lot here. And again, you know, Minoru Suzuki, much like Jushin Liger, he's, he's starting to get up there in age, but it doesn't seem to inhibit him. It doesn't It doesn't seem to make him any less willing to, to give his body to his opponents. And, yeah, I, I thought he really went out of his way here to try and make these two young guys look as good as he possibly could. Uh, from here, Fredericks puts on the single leg grab onto Minoru Suzuki. And Dave, do you think he's going to tap uh, from a single leg grab? Uh, probably not. Probably not. No. Uh, he, he does not tap. In fact, he's able to rebound. He catches Fredericks with the gotcha style high driver and, and pins him. One, two, three in, uh, what was the time of this match? Nine minutes and 56 seconds. So this is our third match that, that, that comes under 10 minutes. And I have to tell you, I love it. I am so tired of having like multiple shows have like multiple matches that run 20 minutes or more. I think the live crowd really appreciates it too. They in each of these opening matches, they came to see a specific thing and I think they got exactly what they were hoping for when in the opening match they're looking for two young guys who are, are they're just looking for some excellent fundamental wrestling and and just for the two guys to show a bit of fight. The, the second match, we're, we're there for the comedy and we're there for, to highlight Jushin Liger. And then for this match, it's, it's the Minoru Suzuki show, like I said. And they, they really got everything that they wanted in this match. You, you got to see a lot of the, a lot of the key spots from, uh, Minoru. And I think there's, there's so much that's brilliant about what he does. And, and they're really subtle little things. There's a, there's a point late in the match where he cuts one of the guys off and he, he lays a really nice slap on him and there's this little smirk on his face that, you know, I don't know whether this is, whether it's done for the camera or, or, or what, and, it, but it doesn't seem like it. it's just such a natural reaction. Like he really just enjoyed the sound that this slap made on somebody's face. So, uh, he's just, he's so brilliant. Even at this age, he just seems to get better as he ages. Um, the, the, Fredericks and Connors, this was the first time I'd actually seen either of them. And so I have, I have no idea you're, you're kind of saying that Fredericks is the guy that's earmarked to be the star. To me, I thought Connors actually stood out in this match. He was really crisp, didn't look overcome by the situation at all. Uh, the, the enormity of the moment being in there with Minoru. Uh, I was really impressed with him. I, th- I thought they were both fine, but Connors seemed to really stand out to me. Yeah, well, I mean, like the thing is, is Fredericks won the uh, the Young Lions Cup tournament uh, this past fall, and he's always the one that is clearly booked to be the dominant guy uh, from the LA Dojo over like both Alex Coughlin and Clark Connors. But like, I'm I'm a big fan of like both these guys, but I, I do think for as a wrestler, like Clark Connors is just a little bit like 
ahead of of Fredericks, but Fredericks just overall package is you know, he's he's tall, he's really good looking, he's got the tattoos, he's got that kind of aura a little bit more than Connors, but definitely you know I think both guys are going to do very very well if they stick with New Japan long term. Uh, you know before the end of the, before uh, they go to the back, Suzuki T says pile driving the referee, but he you know I'm sure that referee had to change his uh, his drawers in the back. Uh, <laughs> Let's move on to match four. So uh, some people you know, uh, TJP, TJ Perkins, uh, Juice Robinson, and Tomohiro Ishii taking on the LIJ team of Bushi, Sonata, and Evil. And yeah, so, you know, recently, you know, TJP has been doing very, very well with New Japan Pro Wrestling. He did the, the post, uh, he did the past uh, US tour. He just came over for the uh, current Japanese tour. Uh, and he's uh, he's been, I think he's going to get signed if he hasn't been already with New Japan for wrestling. And, and what do you feel about that? Because like there, you know, the people had some, you know, issues about him in his dying days and uh, in WWE on 205 Live. He seemed very unmotivated in the work he was presenting on TV. But, you know, he gets out of there, goes back on the indies. He gets into uh, New Japan kind of, through the side door, through the U.S. tours, but also like he recently had a match that got a lot of uh, accolades in in Australia with uh, your friend uh, Damien Slater. Yeah, this was in my home promotion, Explosive Pro Wrestling. So that's that was a fantastic match. It actually won Match of the Year last night uh, for Explosive Pro Wrestling. And TJ, to me, I think unmotivated might be the the right way to say it. And I've regularly commented just from watching watching the booking in WWE. And to me, Rollins is a really good example of this at the moment. WWE, they almost seem to enjoy testing their most passionate employees. TJ, you know, TJ has been a wrestler since he was 13 years old. This is, this is a guy who has done and seen it all and is still involved. He's, you know, at, at times to try and stay involved in professional wrestling, he was homeless and, that's, you know, that's not a work. That's, that's, that's for real. And despite that, you know, he could have left at any stage. He could have tried to get a job doing something else, but he didn't. He stuck at this because it's something that he loves. And WWE seemed to almost go out of their way to test their most passionate employees. They, they book them in ways that are not really befitting of, of their skill set. And, uh, I understand that, you know, they, they have, they have needs and requirements for their shows and there's things that they don't need, but they seem to almost go out of their way to try to put these guys in the worst possible situations. And, uh, I, I think that really showed on TJ towards the end of his run in WWE. And I think just getting back out there and being in control of his own destiny, because to me, TJ is a guy who is incredibly creative and I think having that taken away from him on every level in WWE just it really saps your passion for for what it is that you do and it it does just become strictly work and I don't he doesn't strike me as that kind of guy and I think being able to get back out on the independence being able to control his own bookings control his merch uh control where and when he works and uh, I think that's been liberating for him. And, you know, you look at, you look at the shape he's in and the way he's performing and the, the creativity that there seems to be a spark there again with him that was missing towards the end of his time with WWE. And, you know, as, as someone who considers him a friend, I just, I couldn't be happier for him. It, it seems like he's as comfortable in his own skin as he's ever been, which is, 
it's super exciting to me. That's that's when any performer is going to be at their best when they they stop performing and they just be themselves. And I think TJ has been able to find that in the last uh, the last year. Yeah, I definitely. I think he's going to be a big part of New Japan in 2020 going forward. Uh, so let's get to the match. So uh, it starts off with Sonata and Juice Robinson uh, starting off in the match. Uh, there's a lot of uh, you know. Uh, Lockups, counters to start. Uh, there's a big pop from the crowd. They, this crowd, really, really loves some Sonata Davis. You can really tell they're a big Sonata crowd. He was he was incredibly over. And one thing I noticed was he seemed to be in the best shape that I'd seen him in for a really long time. And I thought maybe it was just my eye or that I just hadn't seen him wrestle in a few months. And then uh, Tiger Hattori actually brings it up and says how good. Sonata's looking and that he's been working on his his diet and he looks amazing at the moment he does like I I I don't really think of him as ever being in bad shape but definitely looks a lot leaner and I think it's probably going towards maybe you know getting ready for a kind of a main event push where he's expected to you know wrestle at least for 30 minutes in the high level match uh they do this spot where they catch each other's legs juice and Sonata and they do the spot where like you you put my leg down first no you put my leg down first and they they go to tease it and then they you know they tease not doing it then finally they do it but like ah Sonata tricks him and uh tries to roll him up uh uh he goes for the paradise lock, but thankfully Juice is able to escape that. Uh, uh, TJP tags in, and uh, uh, and they and TJP and, and, and Juice do these double team moves on Sonata, where they knock him down, and they and they're about to, they, you know, they, they they get fall they fall down. They're both on the on the floor basically on the mat, and and TJP kips up, no problem. But but Juice, I don't know if it's a work or if it's legit. He can't kip up. It's really. I think it's a work because they're playing it for laughs. He has to get TJ to come over and help him get back up so they can do their, uh, a double kind of double team elbow on Sonata, who's, who's been laying on the mat for like three minutes by this time. And it's just like, well, <laughs> if I'm Sonata, I would have been, I would have just got out of the way. Say, listen, you can do the spot, but if you think I'm staying here for three minutes and then like you hit me with a move, you're out of your fucking mind. Sometimes the focus just isn't on you. So you just got to lay there and, uh, and, and let the moment play out. From here, uh, Sonata puts both uh, TJP and Juice in the Paradise Lock. And then he does uh, his uh, double-ass dropkick on, on both of them. The crowd loves it. And did, you, did you hear Tiger Hattori's commentary here? I might have missed the call. What did he say? Kevin Kelly says to him, have you, have you ever been put in the Paradise Lock? And he just says, I don't like it. <laughs> I can see probably on a house show or maybe on a, like a, a show that's been broadcast around New Japan World, but maybe he's been put in the Paradise Lock. I definitely know Rocky Romero does not like being put in the Paradise Lock because he's he yep. suffered the embarrassment of it as a commentator trying to help Yano in, I think, a G1 match from, I think it was 2018? G1, I think, maybe? But uh, yeah, yep, so yep. He, he does it. If you're wondering where's, where's their partner is, where Ishii is and has been, well, he got knocked down by Sonata, so he's, he wasn't going to be able to help them escape the Paradise Lock or the double-ass drop kick at this point in the match. Uh, from here, there's a Tornado DDT uh, from TJP onto Sonata. Finally, we both we get both Ishii and Evil coming to the match, and they just, you know, you ha- they have their typical 
Ishii and Evil exchange a lot of shoulder tackles, a lot of power moves on each other, a lot of hitting each other in the face with elbows and forearms. Uh, big chops on Evil from Ishii in the corner. Uh, big elbow exchange between these two. Uh, e takes uh, Evil takes Ishii down with a big shoulder tackle. Uh, Lij just does a triple team sequence on uh, Juice Robinson at some point. Uh, Juice hits dusty punches and the leg lariat on uh, Bushi in this match, and uh, it's it's kind of interesting to see you know like Colt Cabana and uh, Juice Robinson like I really feel one of these guys should just give up doing the dusty punches yeah I, I actually noticed there were a few things uh, throughout the course of the show that it seemed to it seemed like maybe guys weren't um, weren't seeing what everybody else was doing before they went out there because there were a few things that seemed to uh, overlap each other a little bit I suppose is the way that you put it uh, from here, uh, TJP hits a Saito suplex on Evil, which is very impressive considering that, you know, Evil looks a little bit heavier than, uh, TJ Perkins. Uh, Juice hits the cannonball and left hand of God onto Evil and, uh, the Pulp Friction on Bushi for the win at, let me check the time of this match at 11 minutes and 58 seconds. So our first match going over 12 minutes, but still a very fun match. So it really breezed by very quickly, Davis. Yeah, again, I thought it just highlighted everybody's strengths. And then it seemed to me like the crowd really came to life when Ishii and uh, Evil got in the ring together for the first time. And that seemed to be where there was a a big pickup in the intensity from there right through to the finish. And yeah, I thought again, I thought everybody looked good in the match. Um, I, my thought at the time was that they probably had Juice go over because they're lining him up for another shot at the US title. Um, but you know, with what happened later, it's it's obviously still continuing, but I'm just not sure where it's actually heading. Um, but it seemed to me at the end of the match, maybe that uh, Ishii and Evil were sizing each other up a little bit as they were leaving. I don't know if that's preempting anything that's going to happen. I think they've got fantastic chemistry together. I'd love to see that match. Match five. Let's move on to uh, match five here. Uh, Rocky Romero, Yo, and Hiroki Goto take on the team of Jado, uh, Taiji Ishimori, and Kenta. And little uh, unknown fact, maybe, or little known fact here, uh, uh, Davis, is that uh, Jado, Ishimori, and Kenta are all former IW, uh, no, GHC, Junior Heavyweight Tag Team title holders. Did you know this? Yeah, right. Now now that you're saying that, yeah, very. it's it's very obvious now that uh, you brought it up. But yeah, I, did, I didn't pick up on that at all. And I think Kenta and Ishimori were actually uh, champions, like a championship team themselves. And Jado, of course, has held that title with his uh, longtime partner, Ghetto. Uh, I think in the last time, like, you know, the Bull Club, not the Bull Club, Suzuki Gun, were in Noah is when, like, Ghetto and Jado held those tag team titles. Um, Kenta gets a mixed reaction from the crowd, but I heard more boos than cheers for him. What did you think? I thought so too. Yeah, it seems it seems like the heel shtick uh, is definitely getting over. Yeah, from here, you know, like uh, Kenta and Goto start off the match, and Co- Kenta does a lot of stalling on the outside, learning a lot from both Tai Chi and from uh, Jay White. It seems uh, he's making Goto wait. He's getting a lot of heat from the crowd as well because they wanted to see these guys go at each other. Uh, 
they end up uh, taking uh, partners, their respective partners in. In this case, Ishimori for Kenta's side and uh, Yo for Goto's side. Uh, uh, they they uh, do some interaction with each other. Yo, Yo does these beautiful arm drags and does a drop kick on Ishimori. Uh, then from here, Rocky and Yo do some double team moves on Ishimori because they're, you know, like Rocky is the coach of Rapongi 3K and he does a lot of tag teaming with both Sho and Yo. Uh, Jado hits, uh, Yo with a kendo stick to a big, big cracking sound. I was like, Ow. And, uh, then just takes, uh, you know, the, the advantage obviously goes over to the bullet club from here. And now I have to ask you, Davis, as a wrestler, have you ever been hit with a kendo stick? Uh, not that I recall, actually. No, it's again, not something I'd really thought about, but yeah, I don't think I have. And I can, I can tell you that the, you know, if someone was going to hit me with something like that, I would hope that it's, uh, I would hope that it's not a legitimate kendo stick because those those things are not to be trifled with. I well, I don't know. Do you think this one that Jada uses is a gimmick kendo stick? I mean, I would think that at a at a professional level, if you can if you can check your shots, you can probably find a way to uh, to make sure that a kendo stick's not going to kill a man. Right. Well, I'm hoping it's a gimmick one because he hit he hit yo really hard. With this kendo stick, uh, you know, there's a sequence where there's a lot of brawling outside from all participants in this match. Uh, you know, like uh, Kenta is uh, paired off with Goto, uh, Jado with, uh, uh, let's see, sorry, uh, Ishimori with Rocky, Jado with Yo. Uh, from here, uh, Ibushi does these uh, series of uh, hard chops on Yo. He is a very uh, underrated striker, I feel, Taichi Ishimori. Yeah, definitely. He's he's got a great intensity to everything that he does. I think, and I when he first came to New Japan, I wasn't sure how he was going to work as a as a heel because he's he's a good looking guy. He's he's built so well, and everything he does is so impressive. But he's he's done a pretty good job of maintaining himself as a as an effective heel. Yeah, I mean, he's like. You gotta, you gotta give it up to this guy being one of the smartest wrestlers, like working a, you know, a, a babyface style throughout most of his gear through like, uh, you know, his Toriyaman days through to, to Noah. And then when he, uh, he also gotta give up. This guy's a hell of a worker. He got out of his Noah contract and told him he's going to the United States, but he ended up signing with Japan for wrestling. <laughs> what a brilliant man. Uh, I, I, you know, some people might be like, oh, that you, you respect that. I go, listen, the guy got paid for. How can I say, how can I not respect that? You know, he got out of a, a, what he felt was a bad situation contract wise. He went to a better financial situation for him, better, better situation overall. Cause he's, he's definitely a bigger star in New Japan for wrestling than he was in for wrestling. Noah. So yeah, I know. Yeah. I do respect it. You, you can't not respect it in my opinion. What do you think? You've got a limited span as a wrestler to, to make a living. And I think it's, it's obviously in his best interest to maximize his income while he can. The, the style that he works is pretty high risk at times, very high impact. And you've only got a certain number of years to, to make your living. And, and after that, who knows what happens, whether you can actually transition into another profession or whether this is your one chance to really make your money. So. Yeah, I certainly don't begrudge him for going where the money is. And, you know, for people who would say that you sign a contract so you know what you're getting in for, I I don't disagree with the sentiment. But at the end of the day, wrestling is a profession where generally the promotions get over on the wrestlers rather than the other way around. And if 
if we can chalk one up for the wrestlers, then I'm certainly not sad about that. No, definitely not. Uh, from here, Ishimori does this really beautiful, uh, you know, move where he, he does kind of a head scissors takeover, but he is able to make, con- make, maintain contact with like his, his, both his feet are like, you know, vicing the, uh, his opponent's head. And then he does the crank where he like looks like he's twisting his body and he's like almost going to break the neck of his opponent. But it's the whole time from the, the head scissors take over to that crank. He does not lose contact with his opponent's head. It's, it's pretty impressive. It was, it was sensational, but then had a, had a clever spin at the end of it too. So it was, it wasn't just a flashy move. It had a very effective end to it also. Okay, from here, uh, Yo is able to recover. He hits a drop kick on both Jado and Kenta. Does a dragon screw leg whip on Kenta. Then he gets the hot tag to Goto, who's just raring to go in there against Kenta. A uh, big strike exchange between Kenta and Goto that uh, Goto eventually wins. Uh, uh, Goto, f- uh, f- uh, hits up, uh, Kenta with his, uh, follow-in lariat. Basically, the follow-in lariat, I, that's what I call it. It's like the move that Marafuji invented where opponent hits the ropes, but go, like Goto or Marafuji will like just follow straight in and bounce off the rope two seconds after and just hit their opponents with a lariat. I love that move. Uh, from here, uh, Rocky hits the uh, forever lariats uh, or clotheslines on uh, Kenta and Ishimori. Uh, Jado uh, has a kendo stick now. Goto, go, and he's going to use it on, on, on Rocky and like both, you know, Kevin Kelly and Tiger Tori are like uh, going nuts. They don't want to see their friend. They're, they're, you know, Kevin Kelly, his commentary partner, does, doesn't want to see him get assaulted by Jado, who's always bullying Kevin Kelly. Uh, he He's going to use it on, on, on Rocky, but thankfully, Goto saves uh, Rock Romero. He is able to block and capture the Kendo Sick uh, mid-strike. And then uh, from here, Rocky rolls up Jado for the win uh, in, let me see the time. I should really have this prepared better. I apologize. In 11 minutes flat. So again, like within the 10 to 12-minute range, another very fun multi-man tag match here. Yeah, I, I thought Goto in particular really stood out in this match, and he he really looked good. I I feel like he's probably the ne- the next guy for Kenta. I would imagine. Uh, I I I don't tend to know too much about the the goings on and and what comes next, but it seemed to me like he would be the next guy for Kenta. This this heel iteration of Kenta, I feel like he's really buying into the the reputation the internet reputation that he has for being a bully who can give it out but doesn't want to take it and i thought the beginning of the match played into that beautifully he was he was avoiding goto trying not to get in there with him and then uh as soon as the his team has the advantage he's getting in there and starting to bully his opponents so you know he's he's on the record kind of had uh issues with other new japan wrestlers over the years and uh, I, th- I think he's playing it very cleverly here. He's he's working a completely different character to what what he has in the past, and still maintaining that aura of, of being a real hard ass while just having that that tinge of uh, of cowardice to him at the same time. I've, it's it's extremely interesting to watch him go through a different phase of his career now. I think that I was really impressed by Goto. This this uh, heel character from Kent. I think it's some something that probably developed while he's in uh, the WWE because like, you know, that's where he really became a heel was like on 205 Live and, and, and to some extent NXT, but really developed that he had that program with, you know, like with uh, Mustafa Ali and, and Buddy Murphy for the Cruiserweight title. And like he, he, he really 
I think came into his own as a character more than as a wrestler on 205 Live. So that's where I'm thinking, like, if you want to give anyone credit, like, or the place where he learned that, you'd have to give credit to his time in the WWE if you're enjoying his heel character. And, and speaking of Goto, so you're, you're thinking he's next for the never title against Kenta, maybe at Wrestle Kingdom, but, you know, th- there's all this buzz, you know, Davis, about Katsuri Shibata. Like, he's been taking bumps, like hard bumps in interactions with match in matches involving Kenta, his former, you know, best friend and tag team partner. So I have to say, if he's taking bumps, that maybe he's been cleared to come back into the ring. I, I don't know how you feel about that because, like, he had a very serious brain injury. And, you know, something similar to what, like, maybe Brian Danielson had that forced him to retire for about three years. But, you know, one of the things I, I kind of theorize, this is just a complete guess, and I have no idea if this is true or not, but just my guess, maybe one of the reasons why he went to the LA Dojo was to maybe take uh, take a similar treatment to what, like, Brian Danielson did to get over his injuries, which is like he's a hyperbaric air, like oxygen chamber to like kind of heal his brain. So that's my theory. And if he's taking these really hard bumps, like he's taking bumps off of aprons hard to the guardrail that, okay, one, one, you know, like millimeter off, you're, you're going to really run the risk of seriously injuring yourself again or even killing yourself. So I just think he's been cleared. I don't know what you think about that. It's, it's an argument I've been having uh, in my mind probably for, geez, probably since the death of Masara, I would say, where I just, uh, the, the, there is the artistic side of my brain that says, you know, there, there are guys out there who uh, they climb buildings or they bungee jump or they, uh, they skydive or whatever it happens to be, and maybe that is the way they make their money, and we... We allow them, even though they're putting their life at risk, we allow them the freedom to do that. And it's, it's very tricky that this is an area that we, maybe people feel like they can almost police it. Uh, this is not, not everyone is, is built to work a nine to five job. Not everyone is built psychologically to live an average life. And you will have some, Guys who are almost like a supernova. They're just gonna, they're gonna burn incredibly bright, but they're gonna burn out quickly. And it's, it's a really tough discussion that I, I have, I don't think I've gone back to watch any of Masawa's classic matches since his passing. And I've, I do have some difficulty watching guys do some of these things, like knowing, knowing what shibata would go through it's it's really hard to watch uh some of those matches with goto where they're just absolutely unloading on each other but again the the creative side of my brain the artistic side of my brain says i want these guys to have the freedom to express themselves however they see fit and it's it's a horrible realization when you you see that this is the sort of damage that it can cause but at the end of the day this is his body and this is his uh this is his choice to make whether or not new japan want to take the liability of putting him in that situation is a totally different argument and as a corporate entity i I, they would need to put certain protections in place to make sure that they're 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 not putting him at undue risk but uh you know if 
if New Japan can't give that to him, and in Daniel Bryan's case, if if WWE wouldn't give that to him, maybe they'd seek it elsewhere where there aren't the same sort of protections in place. So it's it's a tricky one, WH. I, I, I can't say I have a strong, a really strong opinion one way or the other, but I probably do lean slightly towards we all have one life to live, and I, you know I'll be damned if I tell someone else how to live theirs. Yeah, I, I mean, I feel if he's doing this stuff, if he's cleared, then the risk, you know, to him getting seriously injured again, like as long as he doesn't do the stuff that, that really, you know, did a number on him, which were, which were the legit shoot headbutts. So as long as that's completely yep. taken off of the table, he can do worked headbutts. Like I think you can do a worked headbutt that protects your head, protects your opponent head, that, that, that's done. Just don't do the real ones anymore and, and just keep the head trauma to a minimum. I know it's wrestling. It's hard to say, but, if, if that's the case for him, then I, as a fan, I would love to see him back, but I don't want to see him die in the ring either. That, that would horrify me. And there's like this, all these things about like, you know, the, the matches Naito and Ibushi have that, you know, people will say, well, if, you know, like that's the life they lead. And that's, and I agree. Listen, if they're going to have that kind of match, okay. I don't want to be there if it goes wrong, you know, like with, Sadly. you know, like that would, that would traumatize me, I think, far more than if I had, if I had the, you know, unfortunate, you know, situation where I watched it even on TV. You know, like for me, I'd be like, wow, like, and, and I've seen the match where Masawa died. It's like, like, and I knew because it was on tape, but I was just like, okay, I, as soon as it, before he even hit the ground, I just turned it off. I was like, no, I can't watch the, the contact with, with the, the bat. Anyways, I don't want to get to morbid details here, but like, sure. I, you know, just saying, like, I don't want to be, at a show, and it's highly likely because I do attend a lot of New Japan shows in Tokyo. That, like, if you're gonna have this high risk, you know, situation between a wrestler and his opponent, that that wrestler, you know, you know, there's a good chance that something might happen. I I just don't want to be there to see it, and so like that's how I feel about that. But let but anyways, let's move on. Let's go to a more positive topic, and that's the, the next match, our sixth <laughs> match on the show. It's for the RevPro British Cruiserweight title, uh, the defending champion uh, El Phantasmo taking on the challenger show of Rapongi 3K. Show comes out uh, first with his uh, kind of 8-bit video game style music, uh, which I'm kind of, I don't know, I'm kind of iffy about. I think it sounds cool, but it doesn't fit like this kind of, I don't know, shooter character that that show has so I, i'm kind of hoping he's going to change it at some point in his career uh elp comes out second with his like you know his his whole light up jacket gimmick and he's jaw jacking with a lot of the fans in the crowd um yeah but straight away he gets in the ring and this you know before the bell rings show spears the shit out of this man and then starts punching him in the head and i'm loving it because i hate el Fantasmo davis yeah, I've, I've certainly heard you're a huge fan of him. Uh, <laughs> but um, look, he is a great dickhead. He He's not afraid. There are, there are so many wrestlers these days that are afraid to go for heat. And, you know, ir- irrespective of I, – I have no idea. Obviously, you hear rumors and you never know where to disseminate the truth from rumors. But, um, you know, he's not afraid to be the dick. And I thought – the, the opening to this match was great because from his entrance to all of his interactions, Phantasmo was just being so annoying. He was getting in show's face. He was holding the belts up in his face. 
And show just played it so cool. There was no reaction whatsoever. He just looked completely unfazed. And then the second that the match started, he just exploded out of the block straight into a spear. Like you said, just jumped on top of him and started throwing right hands. And I thought that was really cool that it, it really painted a really clear good guy and a really clear bad guy that this, this was an easy match. You didn't have, there was no guessing for who anybody was going to cheer and who everyone was going to be behind. Uh, Sho Tanaka was a, a dead set baby face in this match. Oh, yeah. And the crowd absolutely love Sho Tanaka and all the things he's doing to uh, El Fantasmo here. Uh, there's a nice series of kicks into uh, ELP's chest and face from Sho. And at this point, Rocky Romero joins the commentary. Uh, he, you know, he wasn't doing the commentary before this because he, he was slated to wrestle, but as soon as his match is over, I guess he showered, changed, came out to join Tiger Tori and Kevin Kelly. Uh, from there, uh, there's a leg sweep and a basement drop kick uh, on El Fantasma while he's sitting on the apron from Show Tanaka. Uh, ELP dumps Show at the feet of the fans in the front row, which I thought was a really good spot. Like, they're brawling outside, Phantasmo gets the advantage and he just picks him up and throws him right on the floor in front of all these fans. And just kind of like as a, kind of as a way to like, I don't know, kind of F you to the fans without touching them. And I don't mind people getting heat. Like, I just, I just say this. Don't touch kids. Don't touch kids in the audience. Like, even if you're just flicking sure. off your hats, don't touch the kids. Like, leave them alone. Anyways, I don't want to get on a diatribe about that. Uh, from here, uh, <laughs> ELP, uh, does a gross spot where he spits on his hand. <laughs> like a big wad of spit of saliva on his head and he just slaps show in the back and i i'm sure show is like you can drop me on my head you can kick me in the face you can like send a forearm into my into my nose but i can imagine that maybe that wad of spit on his back has has to be one of the most unpleasant things he's ever experienced in professional wrestling it was disgusting but just listen, the, the reaction you're having right now, there was a visceral reaction from the crowd when they saw, because wrestlers spit at each other all the time and it gets a reaction. But to see the spit dropping out of his mouth, this giant wad of spit right into his hand and, and then the chop, it was truly disgusting. I, I, I do have to give him credit for producing that amount of saliva. <laughs> In, during a wrestling match, I imagine like you know, like all your all your you know body moisture is going into like sweat and stuff like that. So be able to produce that amount of like you know saliva, like it's a, it's a significant amount. When you people see it, if you haven't seen that show already, and before you're listening to this, like go watch it obviously first. But it's just wow, it's disgusting. But anyways, he then moves over to like putting a show into the tree of woe, and he does the uh, stepping on show's dick part. You know, that, that kind of move he does where he just like, you know, which I, to me, is just like, you know, that's a DQ. I, I don't touch the groin. It's, it's a DQ in any kind of sporting combat situation. But he's mocking Rocky at the same time because he just runs over to Rocky, the corner where the commentary table is, is forever. And he starts stomping on show's dick, gets off forever, goes back to stomping on show's dick. And I'm just like, okay. I mean, that's, that's things like that. That gets heat. You know, and I think that's great. And I, I don't mind the spit because it's not on me, so I don't care. But I just think it's gross. And yeah, <laughs> I hear a lot of rumors about the guy, and I don't know what's true or not true. So I just say, like, what I see on screen now is is fine. I, I don't see him doing anything to the fans anymore, especially the kids. So it's all perfectly fine with me. He's not still not one of my favorite wrestlers, but I do appreciate the amount of heat he can generate in his matches. Yeah, and... and- 
you know, we we both mentioned how over show Tanaka was in this match, and you can really credit Fantasmo with a huge portion of that as well. That a, a large part of this is that people want to see him get his comeuppance, and you know, obviously Show Tanaka is a fantastic wrestler, and he was a, a really really good in this match, but. The, it's it's the hate that Phantasmo draws that allows his opponents to to get as over as they do. Uh, from from here, like so, like Phantasmo's getting a lot of heat for like you know stomping on like you know Show's dick in this in this spot, and then but you know Show does get his get his revenge. He Phantasmo gets his conumptments because he gets hit with this beautiful spider German. So for people who don't know, like explain what a spider German is, Davis. So it's when one person generally is seated on the on the top rope, but in this case, I think Phantasmo was actually standing on the second rope, and uh, Tanaka's in the tree of woe, and he pulls himself up using his abdominal strength, and then he grabs Phantasmo and German suplexes him. Yeah, and from here, Show goes back on the offense. He hits this series of rolling Germans, uh, but uh, at some point, uh, ELP rolls up Show as a counter to that. He then uh, Show then hits the uh, deadlift German into more rolling Germans. I'm like, wow, okay, he's not done with these. And then he does a third series of rolling German suplexes into a bridge, but he only gets a two count. So I was on. I was just like amazed. I couldn't believe. Shotanaka's like core strength and his 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 overall strength is unbelievable. This guy's stamina is unbelievable. He did a series of rolling Germans. He did three of them. Like three, uh, he did rolling Germans, got countered, move, okay, deadlift into a rolling series of Germans, stop. Then another series of rolling Germans. Like as a wrestler, like doing a German suplex is not the easiest thing I would imagine, right? No, look, I'm I'm not a suplex guy myself. Been suplex plenty of times, but uh, not not really my thing. My size, I I tend to try and use gravity base rather than pick people up. But yeah, look, he it just kept going and going and going, and it was kind of accentuated by both the deadlift German, which looked really impressive. The 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 way that he worked that was just really impressive. The yeah, really well sold, and then the very end of the sequence was uh, a really nice ocean suplex into a bridge. Just beautiful stuff. Uh, from here, uh, you know, ELP gets the advantage. He, he puts on a Boston crab on to, to show it's a really painful looking Boston crab as well. Uh, and then at some point, uh, El Fantasmal hits the styles clash for a big two count on, on a show. And then uh, later on, he goes for the V trigger hits that uh, not a very good looking V trigger. I have to say, uh, Kenny Omega does do it better uh, than him. Uh, then he goes for the, uh, <laughs> he attempts the one winged angel. So he's done this before where he's kind of paying homage to previous leaders of the bullet club, but he's not a leader of the bullet club. You know, Davis, like that's Jay white right now. And so it, it kind of makes you think, is he, is he going to go for a play? For that is, does he have the frame to become a heavyweight? I don't know, but I can't remember if, if earlier in the match he did anything like as an homage to uh, Prince David or not. Do you remember? No, I don't remember saying anything specific anyway. So I guess there's no love for uh, good old Fergal there, only for uh, AJ, <laughs> AJ and Kenny there. Uh, from here, uh, show hits a. Uh, a power breaker power bomb. So this is the power bomb where he drives his opponent into his knees, not into the mat, 
but into his knees. It looks very, very painful. And he only gets a tooth with that because that's like one of his big moves, but it's not his finisher. Uh, ELP uh, pulls Marty Asami into the way of show spear. Poor Marty Asami. I feel so bad for this guy sometimes. He gets really assaulted and abused on, on some of these shows. Uh, he goes for a belt shot, uh, but misses show. Uh, show, uh, teases the belt shot himself as he gets the advantage over ELP. But, you know, show is an honorable man, Davis. He's, he's an honorable wrestler. He doesn't do the shenanigans, so he tosses the belt away. But this is the point where, like, you can feel the drama. Like, oh my God, it could go either way at this point. Yeah, I th- I thought actually that he might hit him with the belt because after everything Phantasmo's done, you could certainly justify the babyface uh, railing him with the belt. But uh, I I was I was actually concerned watching it. I thought, oh geez, they might actually boo him for putting the belt down because they really want to see Phantasmo get his. But he actually got a really positive reception for doing it, which you know it, that's great when you can. He was playing his character to a T, a guy who plays within the rules and and wants to do the honourable thing. Um, yeah, he just tossed the belt away and got on with the match. I think one thing I have to give credit to this audience. For, for one thing, they were hot throughout the whole show. They were an amazing audience and I think really added to the atmosphere of the show. But I think they are, they are New Japan fans. They want to see like fair play and sportsmanship in, in some of their matches, especially from their baby faces. They don't want to see like their baby faces do dastardly stuff, do, you know, rule breaking tactics, do things that the, the heels do in their matches. So I think this audience was well up for like not going to, like going, going to business for themselves and being selfish, but like being part of the, the match by reacting how, you know, like they're supposed to react. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. It was, yeah, fantastic crowd tonight that very much weren't looking to put themselves over. They were just looking to have fun and add to the atmosphere of the show. Uh, from here, uh, we see the, t- speaking of dastardly tactics, Ishimori, Phantasmo's uh, tag team partner in their IWGP Junior Heavyweight Championship team, comes in to interfere. But thankfully, you know, show's partner, Yo, comes down. They uh, they they fend off uh, Ishimori. They hit the 3K on him. They roll him out of the way. Yo goes out to uh, make sure he doesn't interfere anymore. Uh, Sho is able to hit the shock arrow. A beautiful move, by the way. Just one of my favorites. But there's no ref. Marty Asami is still down, and there's no replacement ref. So uh, he. But once uh, I think Kento uh, Kento Sato comes in, he counts. He starts counting one, two. But uh, it's been too long, Davis. You know, El Fantasmo kicks out. Uh, there's a top rope German, but, uh, ELP, you know, he, this guy, I, I might not be a huge fan of his character, but my God, he's an amazing athlete. He flips out of the thing. He does the dick punch. <laughs> it's, a, it's, I don't know if it's as good as Chris Bosch. If you, if you're familiar with old school Pete Pro Wrestling Gorilla, <laughs> Chris Bosch, Chris Bosch had this amazing Jean-Claude Van Damme dick punch, you know, uh, I, don't, I, I think Phantasmo's getting there, but like it's still not Chris Bosch level. But he, he, he transitions the dick punch to the CR2, his finishing maneuver, and he gets the three count on, uh, on uh, Shotanaka in 20 minutes and 23 seconds. So this is our first match that has gone to the 20 minute limit. And again, it didn't feel like it because, like, I think because we, we weren't bombarded with all these, like, you know, uh, you know, over 10 minute matches. Uh, before this match, and this is like the first one. It's a title match, and it and it's got, it got a lot of build th- throughout the uh, the show and video package and stuff. That okay, 
this is an important match. It's a title match. Let's give it importance by it being the first one that goes over 20 minutes. Yeah, you really hit the nail on the head there that, you know, the, by keeping the, the times of the other matches down, you, this was the, this was the first match with stakes and it felt like it had stakes and the wrestlers should have more invested in it. They should put more into their match. They should be more willing to fight because there's something other than just a win or a loss at play here. So they're, they're fighting for the, for the, uh, British Cruiserweight Championship. And I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed this match. Show Tanaka is a superstar just waiting to happen. Uh, terrific look to him. Amazing baby face. Incredible fire. Just, he is, he is the kind of guy who he's, he sells really well. So you stay invested throughout the heat. There's so many, to me, the word heat has kind of gotten bastardized over the years. And so many people think of it as just the portion of the match where the heel beats the baby face up. But, you know, El Fantasmo, he, he gets heat. He uses his minutes effectively. He gets heat. He makes you want to see the baby face come back and kick the living shit out of him. And he did an amazing job in this match doing that. And then as the baby face, when it's your turn to go, you need to go and you need to go hard. And Shotanaka just made every point a winner. I was so impressed with this match. I was, I, I really enjoyed it. Really enjoyed it. I do think eventually. People say, you know, like maybe his height is a detriment, but I think this guy has enough, enough aura to him that like, you know, if he wants to eventually, I think he can probably transition into the heavyweight division because he's not that really that much smaller than, than Sh- uh, Shingo Takagi, is he? No, no, he doesn't seem to be. Takagi, I, I think much like, uh, much like Tanaga, T- Takagi obviously has an amazing presence to him and that, that makes him appear an awful lot larger than he is. But you might be right. I, I'm not sure there is a significant size difference between them. And Tanaka's got that same sort of presence to me. He's still developing it, obviously. But, uh, yeah, I, he's a can't miss for me. I think they've already set up a nice, like, you know, rivalry between, you know, Shingo Takagi and Sho Tanaka that, like, if, when they're ready to pull the trigger on him as, as, uh, as a heavyweight, like, the person they're going to use to legitimize him would be Shingo, I think, because it's, it's a naturally built-in feud, and, like, I, they have this amazing rivalry. So, like, you know, okay, Shingo's a heavyweight star. We're gonna, we want to make Show a heavyweight star. Who do we put in there with him to, to legitimize him? Ah, Shingo. Perfect. Easy. Let's, let's move on. <laughs> right? So, yeah. uh, speaking of moving on, let's go to match seven. Another title match. This is for the IWGP United States title. Uh, David Finley returning back from his shoulder injury. The challenger taking on the, uh, the new United States champion, Lance Archer. And, uh, I, I had a lot of anticipation for this match. I am a big fan of David Finley. I'm, I'm always kind of saddened as like how he's not kind of pushed a little bit harder. I'm not saying he should get the juice push, but I do wish like he would get a, a tag team run with not necessarily with juice because I think juice's like position in the company is as a single star, but I would love to see him. Maybe him and Hanari would, would make a great tag team. I feel or him and one of the veterans as his senpai do like a, a, a senior junior tag team. I think, he could have a lot of success with that. Maybe with Tanahashi, uh, would, I think would be a perfect fit for him. But, you know, like him and Juice are, I think, going to transition more into doing tag team stuff. But 
in the meantime, we need a we need a challenger to help establish Lance Archer as a dominant champion. So why not uh, the partner of the man he beat, David Finley? And uh, how, what was your anticipation for this match? Not huge, to be honest. So I've I've not seen a lot of uh, Lance Archer's recent work, which I've I've heard has all been uh, a massive improvement on on where he he'd been previous to that and. I hadn't seen a huge amount of David Finley either, and what I had seen was was fine, but I just hadn't seen him stand out in the way that I'd sort of his his reputation has been that he's he's been improving a fair amount, and I I hadn't borne witness to that yet, just through lack of having seen him seen him work. So uh, I didn't have a huge amount of anticipation for this match. I, I was quietly looking forward to seeing Archer because of the the hype around his recent performances. Um, but yeah, I, I didn't have a huge anticipation going in, but I actually really enjoyed this match. I, the, the way Archer enters and, uh, this kind of gets to what I was talking about before there being some things that kind of overlap. He kind of treats the young boys very much in the same way that Minoru Suzuki does. Uh, he's just nailing everyone on his, on his way to the ring and throwing everybody around. To me, there is a, there's a real throwback. Gaijin feeling to to Lance Archer at the moment. He's got a a bit of a sense of danger and recklessness to him that I think has really been lacking for a long time. Uh, and it's it makes his matches and it makes the 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 feeling towards him a lot more exciting. I think there's a sense of danger around what he's doing at the moment. Yeah, definitely. There's a there's a you know recurring theme through a lot of the heels on this show. So Minoru Suzuki makes it a point to like hit. Several of the young lions. Whenever he comes out for his matches, uh, actually, you know, ELP uh, mistreated several of the uh, the young lions by like kind of kicking the the second rope into their uh, their crotches as they're coming through the uh, yep. through the ropes to like kind of take his his ring jacket back to the back and stuff like that. And he just just really mean to the young lions. And then here we get Lance Archer, who makes it a point to not only like hit several of the young lions, but he makes it a point to hit all of them. Like some people escaped unscathed with Murrow Suzuki. Some people didn't get, you know, the, uh, weren't on the receiving end of, uh, you know, ELP's bullying. But oh no, not Lance Archer. Lance Archer hit each and every young lion on, at ringside for this match. And, and I have to say, I am all for it because I do think it gets a lot of heat on the dude. And I think those guys, you know, maybe, I don't know if they're fans of it or not, but you, you, they got, you got to admit, they probably like, you know what? People are paying attention to me right now because like, I just got assaulted by this, you know, this giant of a man. Yeah, that's it. You get, you get a little bit of a spotlight on you, which I'm sure feels very exciting. That said, you know, probably not you don't always want to be assaulted by a giant seven foot man so i gotta think that one of these days like what whether it's Minoru suzuki or or lance archer that they're gonna give you know some young line that they're ready to like kind of strap the rocket to that the spot's gonna be lance archer is gonna come around to attack them at ringside but they're not gonna take his shit they're gonna attack him first cost him the match later on and then just start a feud with him because I think that would be a great way to jumpstart someone's career in New Japan for wrestling. Yeah, definitely. Uh, but speaking of which, so the, you know, the, the, you get the introductions out of the way and right out of the gate, David Finley starts 
you know, the match off, like similar to like what Cho did with ELP. He just does this big drop, a uh, shotgun drop kick to Lance Archer and just goes on the attack against the, the larger man. Uh, you know, for a while, like, uh, he's, he's kind of getting the advantage on Archer, but Archer, uh, sweeps, uh, Finley's legs while he's on the apron. So like, it's this, at this point, uh, Archer's on the, on the mat, on the, on the, on the floor, outside the ring. Uh, Finley's trying to attack him while he's on the apron, but, you know, uh, Archer, you know, is able to use a clothesline to sweep at Finley's leg. And then he, he kind of wheelbarrows, uh, Finley right from the apron into the guardrail. And I've got like, oh man, that's gotta suck. That's gotta be so painful for Finley. And he just came back from so- a shoulder injury. It's, I was like, eeh. It's it's pretty risky. It's something I've been on the receiving end of myself. And yeah, you know, you you need a a big strong fellow like Lance Archer to be able to hurl you safely into the guard, safely into the guardrail. <laughs> That's probably there's no safe way really to hit the guardrail, but in the safest possible fashion, I guess. Yes, well, you know, he's he's not done here. Good old Lance Archer. He he's not done assaulting David Finley. He picks him up in a power bomb, and he and he does the power bomb, but not onto the floor or the apron or anything. He power bombs him onto all the young lions at ringside. I was <laughs> like, this is amazing. This is so great. He then he then follows up with a big flip dive onto them all as well. And to me, the I, I, this only just came to mind, but. I get this sense of uh, danger around him, probably in the way of, of Mike Awesome in his in his prime. That just here's this huge guy who just hurls himself around and is is willing to just take out anybody in his path. It, it was, you know, like I said, I, I hadn't been keeping up with his his recent work, and I was I was really impressed. Finlay looked really sharp at the beginning of this match. As as a fan, you want a babyface who you know is going to fight for you and. And if you, you put the effort into supporting him and, and cheering for him and giving him your energy, you want to know that this guy will fight for you. And I, I thought the way David Finley came out at the beginning of this match was fantastic. He just came out like an absolute house of fire and was really taking it to the much bigger man. Definitely. He is actually very underrated as a babyface. I'm really hoping 2020 is a year where he gets a bit of a push, maybe up to that U.S. title scene, maybe even the never scene. I do think he has a lot of potential. He, he's a really young guy, so I'm not that worried about him at this moment. But I do think he got a window with this guy. You should try to like, you know, push him to that next level because I think he has a talent for it. But uh, but at at this point, let's get back into the ring. Everyone's getting uh, everyone's back in the ring now. Everyone's recovered on the outside. Uh, Finley rallies back, but you know Archer just cuts him off with this big boot to the face, and then he does his uh, kind of rope walk spot. And then he, he, I think he hits two sides. And then while holding on to David Finley's arm, this, this man is like, I don't know how legit tall he is. He's like six, six, over six, six. He's six, seven, six, eight, six, nine, maybe seven. I don't know. I don't think he's seven exactly, but he's, he's just under there. He does a moonsault off the top rope. Like he transitions his feet so he can do a moonsault and he, and he lands midair on David Finley while keeping contact with the man's with this guy's arm it's just amazing how agile this dude is and i cannot believe seriously that he is not a star in a major american promotion i i had to rewind to make sure that i saw what i saw because i was just astounded i i figured he was going to do the traditional undertaker rope walk and he'd come off with a very standard clothesline or, or something of that variation 
And then this giant man just decides to do a moonsault from the top rope instead. Moonsault body press. I was, I was stunned. The, the Archer showcase continues as he hits uh, what I would call a twisting Vader bomb. So he, he has David Finley uh, like on the, on the mat in the, in the corner. He goes up to do kind of what, you know, the Vader bomb, but he kind of twists midair and <laughs> he lands on him in, in a, in a, in a body press position. I'm just like, okay, okay, like, okay, you, this guy, you know, there's no, there's no end to his tricks as, as far as how agile he is. Uh, there's an overhead suplex by Archer onto Finley by, by Archer grabbing, like, I don't know if it's legit or not, because it, it looks good. He's grabbing him by the ears and kind of tossing him over his head. It's, it's pretty impressive. Yeah. It just, it just looked like a, a giant just ragdolling. A much smaller human being. But, you know, Finley, Finley hasn't given up. He's still in the fight. He hits a spear on, on Archer here. Uh, Finley escapes the, uh, blackout, uh, powerbomb and applies the sleeper. Uh, he gives a super kick to the face of Archer. Uh, Archer hits the, uh, derailer, which is basically the pounce onto Finley. And then he gets him in a choke slam for a one, a two. Oh! You know, Finley's not down. And I think this is where the crowd was like, okay, we don't think he's going to win, but my God, we're going to, we're going to get behind Finley because he is taking an ass kicking throughout this whole match. Yeah. He was, he was an absolutely perfect undersized baby face here. He was just being manhandled and it, he, he really made, and not that Archer can't look good on his own, but he really made Lance Archer look fantastic here. And then. You know, he made his moments count when it when it was his time and and the focus was on him. I thought he he executed brilliantly. And here we come to the like the closing stretch of the match, and this is brilliant. So, uh, yeah, Archer does hit uh, the blackout uh, power bomb, but he pulls Finley up at two, like something like, "Oh no, I'm not done with this guy. I can beat him any time now." So he he's going for another uh, power power bomb, but Finley rolls him up and he gets a two, a very close two. Uh, there's a stunner. From a choke slam attempt from Archer, so like Finley is able to hit the the Stone Cold Stunner, and he gets a two on Archer. And this crowd is is really biting on all these false finishes. It's amazing to watch. Uh, Archer blocks an acid drop, the Sharon Nue, uh, from into uh, some from Finley. So F- Finley tries to go for the uh, Sharon Nue, but Archer blocks it into a claw hold his finisher, and he gets the claw hold. He drives Finley to the ground, but he's not done. He's not just going to pin him. Oh, no. He starts ramming Finley's head up and down off the mat. I'm just like, oh, dear. But I think he's definitely protecting the dude. But it looks very, very impressive. And this is like how he won the United States title from uh, from uh, Juice Robinson as well. And from this sequence of uh, head slams into the, into the mat, you know, Archer pins David Finley for the one, two, three. I don't have a time for this match because it's not listed on the uh, New Japan website uh, right now. But I'm going to say, what do you think? About, about 10, 12 minutes? Yeah, I think probably 12. And and didn't overstay its welcome. I, I would have no idea what the time actually was. I never once looked at my watch. I I thoroughly enjoyed the match. I thought they they both played their roles to to perfection in this match. And... Archer got to showcase pretty much, you know, he, he, he rolled out the entire arsenal, in, including a moonsault that I'd, I'd never seen him do before. And David Finley didn't have to do an awful lot other than fight. He just, he fought. And from as, as, as a fan who wants to see their baby face, just give me, give me something to get behind. He was, he was outsized and outmuscled and being bullied almost from the start of the match and being tossed around like a rag doll. But 
he was always willing to fight. And I thought that just created a really good dynamic between the two of them. They had great chemistry together. Yeah, I, I would love to see a rematch between these two, actually. Um, but, the uh, you know, Juice, we have to mention that Juice Robinson was seconding uh, David Finlay in this match. He didn't get involved. But, you know, he's looking over. Uh, Finlay, basically, he's protecting him because Lance Archer decides to keep assaulting the young lions who are in there to kind of, like, check on check on Finlay. But he doesn't attack Juice Robinson. And then, like, there's, like, kind of this kind of unspoken thing. I don't know if they, they were saying anything to each other, but, you know, the idea is that, you know, Juice wants another shot at Archer. He wants to get uh, his United States title back. But, you know, before he leaves, Archer grabs the uh, the house mic and just tells him, you're not worthy, bitch. And then just walks off. And then, I don't know, I kind of feel sorry for Juice Robinson at this point because he just he just looks so dejected. He didn't seem like the kind of guy that's going to, like, fire up and, and, and make a challenge. He just seems like, I'm not worthy. It's true, I'm not worthy. They've got to give the they've got to give the baby face a, a hill to to climb, an obstacle to overcome. So I'm not sure exactly what that is. When the match ended, my first thought was that maybe that they're they're going to build to a three way between them. Almost the idea that uh, both of them individually couldn't hang with this giant man, but that together the the opportunity opens that maybe one of them can get over the finish line. Um, yeah, it was hard to sort of get a sense of where they were going by the end of the segment, but uh, that was my first thought that maybe they maybe they're building to a three way. Anyways, this was an excellent match. I really enjoyed it. I, it's, it's definitely up there with the uh, Show Tanaka and El Fantasmo matches, like the the highlights of this show. Let's move on to match number eight: uh, Lij Los Ingobernables de Japón, uh, Shingo Takagi, and Tetsuya Naito taking on the Bullet Club duo of Jay White and. Uh, Chase Owens, uh, as soon as I, I saw Chase Owens come out there, I'm like, wonder why he's in this match. Oh, never mind. I know why. <laughs> Anyways, uh, big response from San Jose for Naito. He is so popular in the West. It's, 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 it's amazing because you would think maybe he doesn't translate into Western audiences, but this guy is so super over. He's just got a cool factor about him. And sometimes you don't need, and it, granted, his rim work, ring work is also incredible, but he he just has a cool factor about him that there's there's something very nonchalant about the way he carries himself, and uh, you know that does it does translate to the West for for whatever given reason. And he he really did feel like a star here because Takagi came out and and got a nice reaction, but. Uh, Naito got a really, a really much larger reaction, and it, it was pretty clear who the star was here. Definitely. Um, they're building up, of course, to their intercontinental title match at Russell Kingdom on January 4th, and the winner of that will go on to face the winner of the IWGP heavyweight title match between Ibushi and Okada on the 5th. I'm, I'm going to both, Dave. I'm going to, uh, uh, Davis. I'm going to see both shows, uh, during that weekend with, with John Pollock and Wei Tang. They're going to be coming down and a bunch of other people from the, uh, post wrestling family and other podcasts. It's going to be a, a crazy scene in Tokyo for, between, like, I'd say from New Year's until like January 6th. It's going to be insane. Yeah. It sounds like it's going to be. And, you know, it seems like this, this, wrestling and MMA summit almost that uh, th- this whole podcasting and, and journalist family sort of come together at, at this is the place they go rather than necessarily WrestleMania weekend that uh, now Wrestle Kingdom 
the, the two or three days surrounding that is where all these uh, wonderful voices and minds meet. Yeah, we're all going to just eat, like, you know, steak from Ribera Steakhouse and, 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 and go karaoke and, and go shop at Totacon for, like, used wrestling goods. It's, it's, it's a big thing. It's just this uh, thing we do every, every year, it seems now. Um, so, yeah, so we got uh, Naito and Jay White starting off things. But, you know, Jay White's doing, doing his usual stalling stuff. And uh, he just, you know, he tags out, doesn't interact at all with Naito, just kind of teases him, tags out to uh, Chase Owens. And then, you know, Naito's like, oh, okay, I, I don't really want to. He's just looking past Chase Owens. You know, he just doesn't doesn't acknowledge him. He just looks past him to, to Jay White, and he says, "Okay." Tags in Shingo Takagi, and and they so we start off with uh, Chase Owens uh, having a, a match with Shingo Takagi. Uh, Owens gets the early advantage on Takagi, but eventually uh, Shingo fires back with these chops and shoulder blocks, knocking uh, Chase Owens down. Uh, Naito tags in, uh, but looks past again. He's looking past Owens. He doesn't care about Chase Owens. He's just looking at Jay white uh but at some point there's some bullet club interference that leads to uh jay white getting the advantage on naito uh, naito hits uh, a rana off on uh, owens and tags in shingo uh there's the uh, sequence of punches and elbows to uh to uh owens from shingo kind of like the, the tenru the tenru spot i like to call and then uh white uh saves owens uh, and uh, he has uh, Shingo double uh, Larry's both guys uh, while they're trying to do some double teaming on him. Uh, it's a pretty, pretty fun match so far. I, I think like everyone's getting a shine, including Chase Owens, because they do like, despite what I feel about the guy, I'm not a huge fan, but they see a lot in him as like someone that they want to keep strong because the stronger he is, the more impressive it is that when people beat him, so he's not necessarily going to get the wins and he's usually going to take the falls, but before he takes the fall, they're going to make him look good. They're going to give him a bit of a shine. So he, he's getting a lot of shine in this match against two of the, the best wrestlers in the world with Naito and uh, Shingo Takagi. I think it speaks to the respect that he has in the New Japan locker room. And I've, you know, the the very limited access that I've had to that through the, the one show I did here in Australia, I can tell you that the, the guys in the locker room speak incredibly highly of Chase Owens and... They, you know, he's, he's someone who they know will go out there, can play whatever role he's asked to play, uh, is, is a team guy and basically does, does whatever is asked of him to the absolute best of his abilities. And I, uh, yeah, I, like I said, the, the guys that I spoke to and spent time with on that tour, the, the New Japan roster guys, they could not have spoken of him any highly, uh, any more highly. He was, he's certainly got the respect of the locker room. I definitely. I mean, you know, like I, I'm obviously not a huge fan of the dude, but I mean, the, the fact that he's still there, you know, it, it speaks volumes to what, not only what the roster thinks of him, but also definitely what, what management thinks of him. I, I do think he's like that utility player that every company needs that, you know, mm-hmm. we, we need to get this guy over. Okay, let's let's use Chase. He's he's good for that. So you know he has his, his role. He plays it really really well. Uh, at, at one point, you know Owens uh, continuing to keep the advantage over Shingo. He hits the uh, the crap the the jewel heist, or as it was uh, more commonly known when it was first introduced, the Pepsi twist, a move invented by uh, CM Punk. I like this move. I think he does it really well. It only gets a two count on Shingo though. 
Uh, he's not able to pin him with it. Uh, Owens tries for the uh, package pile driver, but uh, you know, Sh- uh, Shingo powers out of that. And there's a series of strikes between uh, Shingo Takagi and Chase Owens, which Shingo wins rightfully so, uh, with a lariat onto Chase Owens. Like, uh, here's the thing: where like as a fan, for me as a fan, like as as a talent, I can see his usefulness, but I really wish he he would look more more like a professional wrestler. He he looks like a guy. And this is the problem with Chase Owens. He has a bad haircut. He has a, a terrible physique for for if you compare to other people in that in, on that roster. I wish he just looked a little bit better and I could buy him having a, a a legit strike exchange with someone like Shinko Takagi who looks like a badass. Like Chase Owens does not look like a badass. He looks like the second coming of Barry Horowitz to me. And so like I don't ever believe that he can ever hold his own with guys especially when they're doing like punches and elbow strikes with each other sure that that said i'm not sure that there are many many wrestlers who can uh hold themselves to the intensity of uh of shingo he's it was the one thing that really stood out in this match to me is just the intensity that he brings to everything that he does but particularly anything involving striking there's just there's no wind between any of the shots just everything he does is so so crisp and aggressive and uh i and i'd I'd never sort of seen this comparison before but i i was getting uh I was getting some flashes of uh, classic Kawada in this to me. He just, he, he hits hard. He feels legit. It's just, it's a different kind of feeling. I don't know. There's, there's just a, a presence around him and the way he carries himself and the way he strikes um, that really reminded me of Kawada. Oh, I, I would, I don't know if I would see Kawada in him. I don't think he does any of like Kawada's signature moves, but I, I see what you mean with the, with the presence who do you, he reminds me more of like, you know, like a Kensuke Sasaki because of the lariats sure, and, sure. and like the power moves that he does. But, you know, 2020, I really feel New Japan is going to be very, very interesting. I think, you know, depending on how Wrestle Kingdom goes, you're going to see a lot of clearing of the blocks, so to speak. I think you're going to see like a bunch of the guys that have been bubbling underneath get the push. And I think Shingo is definitely going to be one of those people uh from here though uh naito and white both tag in at the same time and there's a lot of back and forth between these two guys who are going to have their big match at uh wrestle kingdom in the tokyo dome uh at some point <laughs> speaking of spit naito spits in jay white's eye uh that's gross i don't like when he does it either but it gets heat so whatever uh naito hits a series of elbows to white snag this looked really good like usually you know, you see an intensity in Naito, but it's just like an escalation of his signature moves. This this time, you can just feel this hate he has for Jay White. He's just like elbowing him, dragging him back, elbowing him in the back of his neck. It's like, wow. Obviously, he's he's setting up for Destino. He wants to hit Destino on Jay White, which targets the neck. But, you know, like Jay, Jay White is just enduring it. Like, I, I, I'm not a huge fan of the Switchblade. I like Jay White as a wrestler. I'm not a fan of Switchblade. But one thing I really appreciate about the way Jay White presents himself and how he's booked is that he is a tough guy. Like, he's a tough wrestler, and then he can endure a lot of punishment from the the top stars in the company. No doubt. And I think a lot of that goes towards the uh, the fact that he, he spent time there as a young boy. He's, he's earned his way from the bottom up. And 
that environment certainly provides you with a, a lot of grit and a lot of determination. And that's exactly what you need to get through these sorts of matches. Uh, from here, like uh, White is able to counter and uh, kind of reverse his fortunes. He hits a Saido suplex on Naito. Uh, from here, Owens t- tags in. He teases the uh, package pile driver this time on Naito, uh, but Naito blocks that. Uh, Shingo comes in and uh, Naito and Shingo dec- uh, proceed to perform several sequences of double team moves on Chase Owens. Uh, Shingo hits uh, White with a punch to the face. Like, you're talking about the the intensity. So he punches him straight in the face, and then he hits him with this massive clothesline. I'm like, oh, Jay White's going to be feeling that the next day. So... Uh, and it goes to that intensity you're saying, you know. So, and finally, uh, in the in the in the the course of all this action happening, uh, Naito does hit the Destino uh, onto Owens for the one, two, three in 15 minutes and 37 seconds. And a really fun tag match. I thought it started off, you know, kind of like it started, you know, typically not not too flash or anything, and started escalating, escalating, and then just. The point where like Naito and, and White tag in and they just go after each other. Naito with the elbow strikes to the back of Jay White's neck and Jay White hitting him with Saido suplexes and just the, all the interaction with Owens and Shingo back into the ring. I just thought really, really fun match. I think it, it's a nice, you know, builder towards the Wrestle Kingdom match in January. Definitely gave you enough of a teaser without giving too much away and it, it, it feels like a really important match that they're building to. It obviously is a very important match. Do you, do you have a gut feel on who you think is going to walk away with the title on the on January 4th? Yeah, so I think it's going to be Naito beating Jay White for the IC title, and I think Okada is, the, is going to retain over Ibushi, and I think they're going to do Naito versus Okada at, at, on the 5th because I think they feel that's the, the match that's going to sell the the fifth out like it, it, having two Wrestle Kingdom shows at the Tokyo Dome is a very very ambitious um, you know proposition I think and when I first heard that I was like I, they're nuts I don't know what they're gonna do to get people to come to both nights um, but this is it this is their idea um, I'm not fully on board with it but you know people people's argument against it being Naito Nakata is that it's a one day build but it's it's not really a one day build I feel it's like like the the promise of that match, which is something that New Japan has protected for a long time, is is like implied. It's very very heavily implied that that's going to be the match you're going to see. They're creating the drama of are we actually going to get that match? Especially for Lij fans who are a very passionate group, they want to see that match. And I think if you have uh, you know seats still available after the fourth, once it's once it's realized that. Once people realize that, oh my God, we're finally going to get Naito versus Okada for the IWGP heavyweight title, it's likely, it's very likely I think Naito is going to win that title that the, all the LIJ fans who might be on the fence are going to just pour into getting tickets and come to the Tokyo Dome on the 5th. Certainly hope so. I suppose it's on a it's on a Sunday night as well, so there's there's no work or anything like that inhibiting people from from deciding on the moment whether they want to go to the following night or not. And much like you, I also believe that we're probably getting an Okada Naito match uh, on the fifth. So. Yeah, and I, I just think like, you know, this is this is the first time that January fourth has fallen on a Saturday in a long time. Obviously, like the years before it was either maybe a weekday or a Sunday or on uh, uh you know another day of the week, which is a little harder 
to draw because, you know, Saturday is perfect because people generally don't have to work the next day. They can stay out. They can go a bit longer. These shows do tend to go a bit longer. Like for me, I have not gone to every Wrestle Kingdom because I, I don't want to try to, you know, race back to Tokyo Station from Sudabashi to catch the bullet train back to where I live. It's not an appealing prospect I've done before. I, I don't enjoy, you know, trying to rush out. And there's so many people leaving and getting on the train, going to the train stations around like the Tokyo Dome. It's, it's, it's a really like stressful feeling to go. So sometimes I just say, I'm not going. I don't want to deal with the, the travel issues afterwards, especially. So this is great. I'm going, it's on a Saturday and I just took the, the week off. You know, you know, Davis, I'm just going to spend 10 days in Tokyo with a bunch of my friends from over from Canada and the UK and Australia and, and, and you know, wherever else. And they're going to come and we're just going to have a fun time in Tokyo for 10 days, including a lot of wrestling. But I don't have to worry about catching a train back to uh, Numazu from Tokyo. So that's a, a very appealing prospect. Yeah, you don't want to have to be dealing with all that when you've got friends visiting. It's it's nice just to relax and and work can just wait uh, wait a little while. Let's move on finally to the main event of this show. It, it features uh, Amazing Red, uh, stalwart of the American independent scene. Uh, he's teaming up with the G1 Climax winner Kota Bushi, and they are taking on the dual championship team of Kazuchika Okada and Will Ospreay. Uh, and I gotta say, you know. Like all these guys, uh, especially like Ibushi, Okada, and Osprey, they're all big stars. But Okada is the clear favorite among this crowd. He gets the biggest response, and this crowd absolutely loves Kazuchika Okada. Very much so, and I, I, I think I was a little taken aback by the reaction Ibushi got. I, I thought he would actually get a much stronger reaction. Um, I thought Will Will got a very strong reaction, and then the 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 reaction to Okada went above and beyond that. He he felt like the he felt like the biggest deal on this show by by considerable margin. I, I think Okada like uh, sorry Ibushi has suffered a little in that he's not as high profile as Okada is in the company right now. Even though he won the G one, but you know there's that whole period between the end of August and up to January that that you know it's not the most exciting time to be a fan of New Japan, and I do think kind of Okada, like Ibushi, I keep saying Okada, Ibushi suffers a little bit for it, but I think by the time we get January, like, it's going to be a very, very loud reaction, and, and a favorable one, definitely, for Kota Ibushi at, at Wrestle Kingdom. The uh, the match starts, let's get... Can, um, sorry. Sorry, can I can I just say, I find the briefcase thing really goofy, that New, New Japan, to me, doesn't necessarily strike me as a, a company that... Uh, they've, they've got their own original style for what, for what it is that they, they do and represent. And I, I feel like this is almost a, as, well, I don't have to feel like it is. It is a stolen idea from the WWE. I just, I, I think there's so many, it, it's, it, to some extent, it's treating your fan base like they're idiots that they can't remember that Kota Ibushi won the G1 and that he's going on to, to main event the Tokyo Dome. We we don't really need this visual representation of the fact that he's going to challenge uh, Okada for the championship. I think, uh, you know, we, we get it. We don't need him carrying around a briefcase, which very much looks exactly like the Money in the Bank briefcase. Well, I'm in complete agreement with you on that. Like, when they introduced it, I think it was like, I can't remember what year it was. It was like, the I think it was the year that 
that Okada won the G1. And he, he said, and he had a, the briefcase to carry his, you know, quote unquote contract. And I thought the exact same thing. It's, it's the WWE money in the bank briefcase contract. But you know, there, there's some things that, that New Japan management booking staff, they have a certain, you know, affectation for WWE tropes. You know, they have the rumble, the, the, the New Japan rumble at the beginning of, uh, each Wrestle Kingdom show these days. Uh, they have the briefcase. They do a lot of wacky, uh, you know, they have a lot more heels than other promotions in Japan who do a lot of, uh, you know, American style rule breaking. These are all things that, you know, occur in New Japan for wrestling more than any other companies. And before anyone comes at me and says, well, you know, they had this kind of stuff before. I, I do know that. Yes. You, you had heels in New Japan. You had, you know, people getting DQ'd and what have you in New Japan. Yes. I'm just saying, but there is a lot more of the tropes of American style wrestling, especially the WB into New Japan. And it's not by accident. Because if you know anything about the bookers, they, or the booker, he loves American style wrestling. But we're not, we don't get too much into that. But I do agree with you, Davis. It's a stupid thing. I hate that briefcase as well. I kind of just like, have uh, kind of just accepted it begrudgingly and just kind of ignore that it exists when I do, even if I do see it. Uh, Ibushi and Okada start the match. It's a typical, you know, Okada match to, you know, how he starts most of his matches. It, it, it's a lot of like, you know, counter moves, counters, dodging, uh, leapfrogs, drop downs, what have you. Uh, Osprey tags in and he doesn't want to fight Ibushi. He wants to fight Red. So Red tags in and there's this awesome flurry of strikes, dodges, and counters between these two as well. Uh, Red hits a beautiful pop-up, uh, her Karana. Osprey, uh, takes over and hits a plancha onto Red, who's on the outside. Uh, Okada gets in with Red and starts, uh, <laughs> this is one of my favorite parts. So he gets in the ring with, uh, Amazing Red and Okada starts saying, TNA. He's pointing at Red, TNA in himself us tna tna and just like saying to all the fans we were in tna together which is you know i think he's being really sarcastic because i don't think he has that many fond memories outside of the friends he made in tna of working there no no i i picked that up also i think they missed it on the commentary and i i don't know even if the the crowd picked it up all that much but yeah i thought it was hilarious Uh, like just a nice I don't know, call back to his, his like wasted potential in that company. And, um, but hey, he, he made a lot of friends there that he has to this day. So that, that's a good p- part of the, his time in TNA. Uh, from here, Red hits the, uh, Deja Vu DDT that you would normally see from someone like Dragon Kid over in Dragon Gate, uh, on Osprey. Uh, Ibushi tags in. He's a house of fire and he's going off on Osprey. They have excellent chemistry, obviously, as well. Uh, Red and, uh, Okada, are having great interactions with each other. I, I think just, you know, one thing I think gets lost in the conversation with Okada is what a great base he is for, for high flyer wrestling, high, high flying wrestlers and people smaller than him. Because believe it or not, he was trained. People might, a lot of people don't know this. He was trained by Ultimo Dragon. He was a Toyomon wrestler before he joined the New Japan Dojo. Yeah, absolutely. And anyone who's trained in that Mexican Lucha Libre style of wrestling is generally uh, regardless of irrespective of their size is generally always a very good base. And, 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 uh, to pop the crowd, Amazing Red hits the code red 
onto Okada. It's great. I was like, I bid on this for, for a microsecond, but you know, uh, Osprey saves Okada from getting pinned by Amazing Red. But you know, like, you know, like that, they had to have, Osprey. I didn't, I didn't like, I didn't like that moment. I, the, the code red was fantastic and it was, it was such a snappy way that he executed it as well. But I, I didn't like, I didn't like the IWGP champion having to be saved from Amazing Red. I and you know, I, obviously, I have a tremendous amount of respect for everything that Red's accomplished. But I just thought, especially in the scheme of the match, that he didn't need to be saved from this. I, I thought a kick out would have been sufficient. Uh, fair enough. I, I I have no problem with it. I think it's nice when your tag team partner saves you, you know, from the finishing maneuver of someone else. Because I, I do think you know, it doesn't it doesn't hurt Okada. I don't think it hurts Okada. To be saved sure. from like sure. Red's finisher. That's that's put away like tons of people who are bigger than him throughout his career. So it, it's fine for me. But I see where you're coming from. Uh, Okada does catch Red off the top rope. He doesn't jump off the top rope, and he catches him with the Tombstone Power Driver. Uh, he then kicks Ibushi off the apron really hard. Uh, from here, uh, Okada then hits the Rainmaker onto Red for the one, two, three. And yeah, this match was uh, 15 minutes and 35 seconds. Again, it, it didn't feel like that. It flew by for me. Just a really high-paced tag team match. The main story being between Ibushi and Okada, but definitely also as a complement to that is the story between uh, Osprey and Amazing Red. Like, I feel you're going to get another singles match out of these two. It seems like that's very much what... Osprey once, and it seems like uh, that's absolutely destined to happen. So, yeah, he even during the match, I think when they first got together, you could see how much of a big deal Will was making the fact that the two of them were in the ring together again. So, I think that's definitely something they're going to revisit. Yeah, and from there, you know, Osprey and well, mainly Okada does the uh, post-match speech. He's asking San Jose if they liked what they saw, if they had fun, blah blah blah. He he proceeds to bury the Intercontinental title saying, I don't want that, but I'm going to be, next time I'm here, I'm going to have the, uh, the IWP heavyweight title, but not the IC title because I don't want that. But I think it's weird. I think he should be saying, I want both those belts to prove I'm the best in the company. And, and kind of Kevin Kelly and Tiger Tori and, and Rock Romero do kind of like you know, cover that up by saying like, they don't believe what he, when he says that they believe that he does actually want the IC title just because of that point, he wants to prove that he's the best wrestler in New Japan for wrestling. And uh, overall, I thought this was a really fun show. I thought it flew by so fast. It's such a refreshing change from a lot of the, you know, the, the kind of tour shows that we see on New Japan World that, that emanate like from Road to uh, Power Struggle, Road to King of Pro Wrestling, what have you. These this, these matches were all like really quick. They were high paced, and, and and the crowd was hot for all of them. So I really enjoyed watching the show, and I'm glad I got to do this as opposed to say something like Power Struggle. And I'm glad we we got a chance to talk on this as well, Davis. Yeah, definitely. It's always I always appreciate the opportunity to to come on and have a chat with you, WH. And I I agree with you about the show as well that. A good wrestling show to me is always going to be a team effort. And it seemed like on this night, no one individual was more important than the show, that everyone played their role, that uh, within a match, each person played their role. And then in the larger scheme, each match played its role on the show. There, there was, uh, you got a, you got a lot of different styles of match. There was, there was comedy early on. You had the young lions early on. You had a great brawl between Finlay and, uh, and David, uh, sorry, between David Finlay and Lance Archer, um, the 
cruiserweight match was fantastic. Just a nice spread of different styles of match that added up to a really entertaining show. Yeah, definitely. And if you haven't watched it before listening to this, I don't know why you would do that. But yeah, definitely go out, go out, go out and watch that show. It's on New Japan World, obviously, and uh, I highly recommend it. Uh, Davis, before we go uh, go off the air, let's talk a bit about uh, year coming off, a big match that uh, uh, Explosive Pro Wrestling had uh, yesterday, uh, Australia time. Uh, it was the 18th anniversary show. And, and tell us a bit about that show and, and about your particular match during that show. Sure. So, yes, as you, as you mentioned, WIJ, our 18th anniversary, so bit of a bit of a celebration from us, and I suppose that my my match was kind of uh, trying to highlight the old and the new. So my my tag partner Richter, he he's one of the original members of Explosive Pro Wrestling, like myself. Uh, we were we were getting together. We're old old tag team partners, and we were facing the Untouchables, Damian Slater and Marcus Pitt. Now, you know, in in reality, in the scheme of things, these guys aren't really even considered a generation behind us they were they were not too far behind us in terms of starting their their time but there's definitely in Perth there's a perception difference between us because Richter and myself were there at the very beginning um so Slater and and Marcus Pitt are obviously two very accomplished wrestlers and uh I thought we had a, a really fun match that that highlighted Richter was coming back from double knee surgery so uh, he's he's had about three years off now, and it was his first chance to get in there. And you really couldn't ask for two better opponents than Damian Slater and Marcus Pitt. So we had a really fun match. Didn't go over at the end, unfortunately. Uh, ended up on the losing end of that, which was uh, fairly thematic for the evening. Uh, a lot of the good guys lost their matches. The the show was highlighted by Mikey Nichols and the Don Michael Morleone uh, fighting for the EPW Championship, which... Mikey won uh, before he heads off to the the World Tag League next week. Yeah, sounds great. And uh, hopefully, I don't know if that's up on, uh, would that be on, on Pivot Chair, I guess, on EPW's. Uh, uh, so, yeah, we, we use uh, Vimeo.com ah, okay. uh, backslash Explosive Pro Wrestling. So uh, that'll be up in the coming days, not up just yet. We're, we're still working on trying to get some sort of uh, streaming and live editing process going on, but... At the moment, my uh, my main man Giles O'Brien, former EPW referee, he'll he'll get that knocked up in the next few days and then get that up on the Vimeo service. Yeah, and keep your eyes out on uh, Twitter for announcements for when that show goes up on uh, VOD. And let's before we, we we end this review, let's talk a bit about uh, the Australian wrestling scene in general. In, in particular, like you know, there's all this talk recently about you know, the WWE wanting to do their satellite. You know, promotion and NXT Japan, so to speak. But, you know, they, they kind of not been successful in that. Like, Noah turned them down. Stardom turned them down. And so, like, the, the talk of that has quieted down, but it's kind of, kind of the talk, maybe more like whispers have come out of like uh, your neck of the woods in Australia and maybe to some extent New Zealand as well that maybe WB is going to start up an NXT division in, uh, in Oceania, in, in, uh, in Australia, probably. What do you think about that? Uh, I think people think that I'm far more informed than I am. This is, this is all just gut feel for me. I'm, I'm not someone who tends to get involved on the, the business side of wrestling too much. And although I know some of the people who would probably be involved in these situations, if they were to go ahead, it's, it's not really just it's something that I care to get involved in. My, my own personal interests sort of just revolve around explosive pro wrestling and 
and trying to get around the country and uh, influence people through my my training and and the advice that I can hopefully give to people. Um, you, you know, obviously, a lot of people have been down on the impact that WWE UK has had on the European wrestling scene, and there are there are definitely two two sides to that argument too. You know, I've uh, I I know people within that system who have said you know that it's it's nice to to not have to go through the grind that they did uh, when they were having to settle their own dates and, and make their own bookings. It's, it's nice to not go through that grind, but still be able to make a decent living. Um, which again, you know, I've, I'm never going to, I'm never going to uh, not feel good for wrestlers who feel that they're getting, getting their, uh, the money that they, they, they get from putting their bodies and their, their lives on the line. But you know that the general consensus, at least from fans, is that it's it's not been great for the for the European wrestling product in general. And while Japan has been able to withstand uh, overtures from the WWE, I'm not sure that Australian wrestling has its own strength of uh, character and identity that it would necessarily be able to withstand that. That um, you know it it has been. Japan has its own wrestling culture. Mexico has its own wrestling culture. And I feel like the Australian wrestling culture is probably too closely tied to American wrestling culture. And that that lack of identity might be the sort of thing that allows the WWE to come in here. If, you know, if important players don't, don't feel that, um, that they stand for something greater than just their, their own promotion that it might be very easy to sort of and and I use this phrase very loosely to sell yourselves out to the to the WWE. I you know I don't say that in a disrespectful way because at the end of the day everyone has their own choices to make. But for me, the health of the Australian wrestling scene is what's most important to me. I've never been involved in in wrestling for money. It's been something that I do as a as a part time gig. Because I I love professional wrestling. I'm in, I'm in heavily involved in training here. I travel fairly regularly around the country for seminars, and the the growth and development of wrestling in this country is what's most important to me. So you know I'm I'm very wary of overtures being made by big players, and I'm very concerned about the effect that a proxy war on Australian soil, on New Zealand soil between WWE and New Japan might have on the local product. All right. Well put. I, I echo a lot of your sentiments. Obviously, I'm not as uh, deeply ingrained in the scene as you are. I, I live in Japan, but like you say, you're not too involved in the in the business end of things in Australian uh, wrestling. But you know, it's it's nice to have kind of the the uh, the comments from someone whose ear ears are to the ground, so to speak. And and with that, thank I want to thank you, Davis, for taking time out of your busy schedule a day after a grueling match with the Untouchables uh, to come on to the show, watch the show, and then do this review show with me and talk a little bit about uh, Australian wrestling as well. I know a lot of the uh, the listeners who, who emanate from Australia, Chris Thunder and, and Chris Shiat are all going to really enjoy the show listening to you. I, I know the, you're, you're a very popular guest with those with those listeners and and rightfully so uh let's get some plugs in before we we, uh finish the show uh i am epw davis storm across all the major social platforms instagram twitter and 
Facebook, if you want to interact with me, uh, Twitter's probably the best place to do that. I'm pretty active there. And uh, like I said, my, my home promotion is Explosive Pro Wrestling here in Perth. Uh, if you're in the area, come and check us out. If you're looking for a place to train, I can tell you that there's no better place to train in the country than Explosive Pro Wrestling. Well, I, I hope to make a trip out to Australia. Uh, again, I've, I've done it once, but I didn't get out to Perth. Next time, I'm going to try to come out to Perth. I'm going to hopefully coincide that with an EPW show, and then maybe we can hang out, have have some have some food, and have have some beers in person. That would be lovely. Uh, you you were also a guest on Cruel Summer, and you're going to be an upcoming guest on Thunderstruck. We have not scheduled that as of this recording, but it's coming soon, and we'll we'll drop the 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 uh, the news of when your episode of Thunderstruck. We're not going to say who the who the who the opponent for Liger is and, and what match that is, but it's going to be a good one. I'm excited to talk to you on, on that show. And uh, yeah, for, for Davis storm, who thankful, who I want to thank for coming onto the show and to all the listeners who uh, listened to us for the last two hours or so. Uh, thank you very much. And I will see you on the next uh, episode of Thunderstruck or maybe on a future review of a, of a live show of new Japan's. We'll see. Goodbye. <laughs>